You can break me physically, but you cannot break me mentally. Everything's external. Looking within is kind of what you're saying is where you kind of find out who the f*** you are. The decision was made to effectively end her life and turn off the, the life support machine. And I knew that you couldn't buy yourself into this club. You had to earn that Green Beret. Within about three months before I knew it, I was in Kabul, Afghanistan's capital, and learning from the offset. You're there for a reason, that adrenaline. There's no other feeling like that in life. You know, how would I react if I got shot? What type of person do I want to be if I get shot? For me, it was the best job in the world, but also the most selfish job in the world, and it took its toll on my first marriage and everything else. What they're looking for is can you do the basic drills to a very high standard and that's special forces through and through if it ends now and am I happy yes if I push myself yes am I happy with the type of person that I am and what I've achieved yes things that are outside of my control I don't fucking worry about what does success look like in six months where do you want to be where are you now and where do you want to be in six months where do you want to be in a year so you have the now the near the next how the fuck can you put five ten years into something and not enjoy it that blows my fucking mind how people can wake up swing their legs out of bed in the morning and not be happy with what they're doing you know when we strip everything back what is important to me as an individual to be a good person to be a good husband and to be a good father and that is above all else first things first guys before we get started with this podcast do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now whether that's youtube spotify apple podcasts i'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that i'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time much love. This podcast is sponsored by contentremoval.com. So whether you're looking to remove any images, videos, search results, fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremoval.com. And welcome back to the Frankie Lee podcast from another location. And today, guys, I'm bringing you another unbelievable guest. I've got my friend here, one of well, he says he's not, but he is. He's one of the most decorated special forces guys to come out of the UK. Former sniper, owner of Through Dark, Anthony Stazica. I, I call you Staz, but I hate, I hate that. I hate the informatic. But welcome to welcome to your factory, your studio, the Through Dark Mecca. Yeah, mate. Welcome. It's good to have you, here, mate. We've been. Uh Chasing each other around like ships in the night, trying to arrange and, uh, I guess, align the stars for this podcast, mate. So it's, it's, it's amazing to have you down here, mate. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Mate, I'm, mate, I'm, I'm excited too. Just to, because I didn't realise, I knew you were smashing it in life and I knew, I knew everything was big, but I didn't realise how big it was, how many warehouses you have, all the stuff that's going on. But I want to give people a bit of a context into your journey because you, obviously me and you met in Portugal back when we were doing IFS and we've actually done a podcast before, but we've done it live on a stage rather than, rather than in person like this. But obviously you, you talked to me about your upbringing and, and obviously, you know, your childhood and stuff like that. And you, I just want to take you back to that to, to really lead into this conversation and how you obviously got into the military, but give me a bit of an understanding of what it was like growing up for you. Cause obviously you grew up in, 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 North, in North, up North, didn't you? Yeah, I guess. Um, long story long, we'll get into it. Um, I guess how did I end up end up here? How did we end up here today? Sat in a shipping container uh, down on the south coast of England in, in Poole. Um, okay, so I was born, raised partly in Wigan, up in Lancashire. You know, um, it was a kind of a, I guess, blue collar background upbringing. Um, I, I have fond memories of growing up as a child, kind of always being outside. I've got an older sibling, my brother, Andrew, a couple of years older than me, um, you know, parents raising us. Um, it was 
yeah, Wigan, it was working class, it was fun, you know, always outdoors, always kind of getting into mischief and trouble. I've never been academic in terms of school, but I enjoyed school more, mainly for the social aspect and the sport. I guess early on, sport was a, was a, was a, a kind of a magnet for me. It gave me a, an outlet and, and, a, and a passion and a purpose, something to kind of strive towards. At the time, you know, if you look at Wigan and what Wigan was predominantly known for, apart from pie eating, was um, was rugby and rugby league in particular. You know, my uncle Jed he played for Wigan, so I remember you know going to games as a kid and watching rugby league. You know, that was a big kind of uh, staple uh, for me growing up and being surrounded by rugby uh, in the schools. Um, you know, but I was a, a decent kid. You know, I wasn't in trouble too much. Um, it was it was fun. It was exciting. Like I said. Um, so that kind of took me kind of primary school years and those are vivid memories for me but fun memories I just remember always being outside always playing whether that was kind of I was not playing rugby I'd be out on the skateboard or the mountain bike or, or at the parks with other kids and my brother and, and kind of have fond memories of that, of that time I guess um, I guess my first major um, kick in the balls uh, for, for want of a better analogy was uh, my parents splitting up now that was a shock to me as a, as a I don't know, maybe a seven-year-old kid. I can't remember how old I was, six or seven. You know, everything's fine from the outside looking in. You don't know as a kid. You kind of have those senses. You have an understanding. But I don't remember them arguing. I don't remember, you know, being raised in, a, in an unloving family where it was, you know, obvious to me as a kid that, that there were issues, uh, you know, from their relationship point of view. So it seemed to then happen quite quickly. You know, before I knew it, my parents were divorced, they'd split up, and we relocated with my mum. So me and my brother moved to uh, Mansfield in Nottingham, and she remarried. So now we're kind of in a strange area. We've had to switch schools. You know, Geographically, we're moved from Wigan down into, into Mansfield. Uh, again, not too dissimilar, sort of, um, for those people that know Mansfield, it's a, work, it's a working man's town. You know, there's lots of pit villages around there. Um, so not too dissimilar to where I'd come from. Um, the main change was, you know, the, the kind of environment now that I was in. I was being raised in, you know, um, in a different, under different circumstances. We had a stepfather that we had to adjust to. And I think with the beauty of hindsight now and me maturing slightly and being a little bit older myself and understanding, you know, I've been through a divorce and understanding the mechanics and, and the emotion that's involved with that. I kind of, at the time, I, growing up, it was just pure hate towards this, this, this man, you know, this, our, our stepfather, you know. Um, but given time, given understanding, and now me being able to step back and understand that situation, maybe I probably judged him a little bit too harshly. Um, I think, you know, it's hard as a kid, isn't it? You, you, you just want to fit in. You don't want to be different. You don't want people looking at you. You just want to move within the right circles. And it's, it's difficult, you know, to, to try and manage that as a kid. So me and my brother move up. We're in Mansfield. New school, you know, we're into this primary school. I get, I get involved. I'm sort of looking around at the time thinking, where's all the fucking rugby, rugby posts? It's a complete change of sport. It's football, which I'd never really played before. So uh, I was fucking terrible as well moving in. Obviously, new, new, duty new kid in school. Do you play football? No. All right, you get in the fucking net. So, you know, an all fucking two foot ten of me at the time. Not much change to now. Uh, we're stuck in goal. So... We're kind of adjusting, everything's great, you know, I'm, I've embedded fairly well, you know, bar the odd few scraps to sort of learn your pecking order and your place within the school, a few headlocks and all that kind of good stuff. Um, I got some good friends um, and I start playing football. I sort of moved my energy now into sport, like I'd always done, but just changed the game. The ball shape changed slightly, you know, so I adjusted. Um, and around, this is going on for a couple of years, and I start playing um, football regularly, I'm training twice a week, I'm involved with a local football club, and I start 
very quickly turning my hand to that. You know, I start becoming quite good. Uh, I then start getting picked up for um, a local professional team, Mansfield Town. You know, everything's kind of moving well in that direction. I'm playing, obviously, for the school football team. I'm captain. I'm doing really well. Um, and around about the age of 11, just before I'm about to transition to secondary school, um, I probably had the biggest uh, biggest smack in the face um, when my mum suddenly passed away. It was a, a brain hemorrhage. It was literally overnight. You know, one minute she's there, uh, the next she's gone. And for me, it was looking back, quite, obviously quite a fucking traumatic experience as a kid. Um, but I sort of, it's strange looking at the emotion now and looking back at the time, you just, you want it to go away. You don't want... You don't want that tension that I mentioned earlier as a kid, that beam of everybody feeling sorry for you, everybody focused on you for all the wrong reasons, you know, and it was a time that, you know, I, I was raised, it's worth saying as well. So um, as this happened, you know, I was up, thankfully me and my brother were, were up with my father for the weekend up in Wigan. So we didn't actually physically get to, to see that happen. But, you know, one minute we were hugs, kisses on the Friday, driving up to Wigan with my dad, weekend, I remember him sitting us down on the Sunday and, sort of delivering that fucking god-awful news to us about what had happened. And at the time, you're 11, what, what's a brain hemorrhage? What does that mean? You know, she should be okay. Surely she'll be all right, you know. And it was it was serious, clearly. You know, she was in an induced coma straight away. Um, and we went back home, straight to the hospital. We had about a week of, of just being in and out of hospital. My mum was, at, like I said, in an induced coma. And we could hear the mutterings and, and everything else going on with the doctors, the back and forth look, you know, it, the qualitative um, or the quality of her life, if if she pulls through this, will be, you know, severely changed, you know. So I think after about a week, the decision was made, you know, with not really an end in sight and the light at the end of the tunnel being super small, the decision was made to to effectively end her life and, and, and turn off the, the life support machine. So my my world changed immediately from that day. You know, it was turned upside down, inside out, emotionally and, and everything else. So I then went to, to secondary school. You know, um, I'd lost my mum. I was obviously in a in a strange place. Your your emotions are all over the place. As an 11, I've got an 11 year old now, and I think about that. You know, my eldest boy Lucas from my, my first uh, marriage, and I think about that. Fuck, you know, I was his I was his age when that happened. How would he react to that? How would he? And I look at him, how he is mentally, you know, in terms of uh, how mature he is at, at that age and how you can deal with things. You're not supposed to deal with that shit when you're a kid. But it happens, you know. Life is fucking full of twists and turns. It's like fucking snakes and ladders, isn't it? It's that game, that analogy. So there's sometimes fucking ladders, you know, sometimes snakes, sometimes big snakes, sometimes little ladders, big ladders. And that was a big fucking snake, you know. I hit the bottom and I just had to, had to deal with that I, on my own. I had my brother, but we didn't communicate about it. My brother's 13. You know, he's my protector. He's looked after me. He's been an amazing person in my life. Um, so now we're in a house with a, with a bloke that we don't really know or like that is not abusive, but it's, it, it's physical at times. You know, my brother's looking after me. You know, and looking back on it, that, was, that wasn't just all him. That was us. We were probably fucking horrible to him, you know, and we would have been. Antagonising him, yeah. Yeah, of course. We would have been, you know. And, and bear in mind, he's just lost his wife, you know. And I didn't, but I didn't see it like that, you know. So, um, but that's that thing with having the, the ability now to, to, to look back with, with different glasses on. Um, so my grandparents moved down from, not, from Wigan, uh, my mum's parents, 
they uh, relocate, they sell up everything, and what a selfless, kind act from, from those guys. So they move down into a small bungalow in the same village, and me and my brother decide to move in with my grandparents. Now, that, that was a, a decision that was made. We'd just moved into school. We didn't, we'd had all this, um, um, I guess, upheaval. of, of I, And the option was there to move back up with my father, but we didn't take it for whatever reasons. We were settled. We had friendship groups. We were moving to secondary school. I was playing with a you know, professional team, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, that caused a lot of... Um, I guess, rifts between the family as well and the decisions were made. Um, but but now I'm 11 years old and I'm living in a bungalow with my brother, who's 13, with my grandparents, you know, and that's different. That comes with its own challenges as well in terms of the type of people that they are. You know, they have old school values, which looking back was, was brilliant for me. But sometimes, you know, in the moment, at the time, it's difficult to appreciate that and appreciate why they're doing things and, and, and the method behind the madness. So, yeah, we were in with a bungalow and then moved secondary school. And for me, it was just, right, what do I fucking want to focus on now? And it, I think looking back, it really, it made me quite angry. It made me quite resentful at the world. Like, why me? Why the fuck has this happened to me? I don't want this, you know. Um, I, I feel all these emotions, of, but the sadness the, the, wasn't tears for me. It was anger. And it really lit a fucking fire in my belly and just made me want to to really get out and, I guess, outlay that emotion onto the world through sport uh, and through different methods and, and, and means. So, yeah. Do you think the world, like, did you feel like the world was owing you a favour back then kind of thing? Did you feel like a victim of the world? Um, potentially, yeah. Definitely in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the beginning, definitely sort of had that moment of why the fuck is this happening to me and you know this is shit and but but look you know again looking back adversity you know being introduced to adversity at a young age certainly shapes you mentally you know you either you either deal with that and lean into it and understand more about yourself and you know there's probably two different paths people go you know the obvious path for, for, for a lot of people is that it's that mentality that victim mentality of all right fuck it that's me that's my life's fucked you know what do i do now uh that's it i'm just going to join you know this fucking group over here i'm going to start pursuing these you know darker avenues down here and what's the point you know there's no need, there's no meaning to anything but for me i i really used that anger and placed it well, um, looking back now, into a good place, into into sport and into football, and I used that that fire and that drive to really push me forward in sport. And I, it was always in my mind: it was do do more, work harder. You know, do you like not not so much do your mum proud, but more, um, I guess, um, understand why I'm doing stuff to the level that I want to do it. You know, and 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 that was a big part of it for me. So that was that was sort of childhood, and then through to uh, secondary school. Now I start playing quite a high level in, in football. You know, it's like I'm playing for England, I'm representing England schoolboys. you know, I'm at a bigger pro- professional club and I'm kind of really gearing towards a life in professional football. Now I'm not sitting here saying I should have been in the last fucking World Cup, you know, I, yeah, I'm not yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, by any stretch of the imagination because it's, that's a difficult uh, game to get into, we all know. But I think moving through, it really helped me to channel all my emotion and uh, energy and anger in, in towards that kind of, uh, that basket, I guess. I, th- I kind of, from hearing you talk about that experience, I kind of feel like 
even though your your mum dying, obviously, like no one wants that for themselves, and no one wants to go through any of that. And obviously, that's that's a terrible pain that we all, if we're lucky enough to live long enough, we all have to endure at some point in our lives, um, no matter how they're taken. But I think it kind of really gave you a, it was your first moment where you got that relentless focus of like, okay, right, my life has to be for something now. My, yeah. You know, I have to turn up now and get get focused on what I want to achieve because I, I want to do this for my mum, I want to do it for me, I want to take myself forward. Is that kind of in that moment exactly how you felt? To some extent, yeah, yeah, largely driven around that. But look, my, it's no too different. Everybody goes through shit as a kid. You have to go through that. You, everybody's been bullied. Everybody's had scraps. Everybody feels victimised, you know, probably more so not now than ever in terms of the social media aspect and, and trying to fit in. And, and it's it's a difficult time as a kid. You know, you're navigating this world and it's it's a complex world that you're navigating. But I think going through school for me, it was, you know, I'd settled into my school, but I still remember the times, you know, getting off the school bus in my local village and, the, you know, having scraps with kids from other schools and, you know, just having to change your, your shoes onto your trainers, take your blazer off, take your tie off and do your thing, tighten down your fucking bag straps, you know, and you're off the bus and you're straight into a scrap with all these other kids from different schools. And it was, it was, a, it was a hard upbringing, you know, Mansfield and the town. It's a hard working man's town. You know, you go out for beers and you, you, every night you're scrapping. If you're not, you know, yeah. if you're not going home with a bird, you're scrapping. And it was like that. That's just how it was, you know. And I thought that was, it, it was normal, you know, for me. But it, it really it really shapes who you are as a person. It really makes you, I guess, men- mentally tougher and, and stronger. And it enables you, I think, moving forward then in life, having a different viewpoint on things, you know, in terms of what you are mentally capable of doing and how you can use adversity for a positive. So some of this, obviously, when, you got, when, you, when you're going through all this, you, you, you go... Obviously, with the football career, just to tie that up, you, yeah. went, you go, you go to Fulham. They offer, they, they say to you, stay out of trouble. You, you go and ign- yeah. ignore them. You, so snap, the, yeah. you, you snap, you snap your knee on a, on a little bit of a, of a little bit of a naughty one. Do you want to talk, yeah. touch on that? It's, it's probably worth mentioning. So for me, everything was lined up. It was all going well. Looking for a, you know at least a YTS at the time, so um, the youth training scholarships as they were at the time. And, you know, we're now ending that season, um, doing really well, everything's going great, and we break for summer. And you get the the usual speech, look, just look after yourself, eat well, sleep well, rest, recover, don't play any sport. If you do, just go steady. And I also used to love motocross, and motocross was a bit of a passion. So I went home, got rolled the motocross bike out of the garage. Uh, there was a place near me called the desert. We used to, I could ride from my house in between the ginnels, down the fucking dual carriageway, all the way down, get onto, the, onto what were like a desert flat or a quarry, disused quarry. Um, but this one day I went to a track with a, with a friend of mine. It was like a, just a track day, uh, practice track day. And it was so simple, you know, just going round a corner, put my foot into a rut as you would. And it just like, it bent my foot and, um, like dislocated my knee quite badly. So, but I remember looking at the time and I had the, 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 um, the chap from my granddad, who's an incredible man who, who supported me since I was a kid, never missed a football match. He was kind of my, my hero growing up, looking back now. And, um, he just giving me the pat on the shoulder, just go steady. Just please go steady. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, at the time when you're, what, what was I, 16 or whatever I was. Yeah, granddad, I've got this. Yeah, leave it out. I'm, I'm cool. I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. And to then roll the, the bike back in, hobbling, and I could see his face. And I knew at the time, I was like, this isn't good. Yeah. Um, I'd kind of managed to like put I the bet, knee I, back in and shit like that. And I, I was, yeah. I went, he didn't even want you going, really. No, of course not. But you can't, this is, this is the, 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 the paradox of, of being a parent. And we can touch on this later in terms of, of 
of you can't stop kids doing what they want to do. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, you yeah. can't. Yeah. You know, it, has the op- it has the opposite effect. Um, you know, so he allowed me to do that and, and w- with the caveat of just go steady and uh, what 16 year old kid goes steady on a motocross bike. I, I don't know. But, um, you know, that, that was a terrible decision now, looking back in hindsight. But look, look, look where what we are. What was it though? Was it though? Because everything you have now and, you know, the, 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 the fact that, you know, just looking here now and seeing out the window, you've got like 10 staff downstairs, 20 upstairs, you've got people over the road and everything you've built and everything you've done and everything you've achieved. I don't think it was. I think That's why life's beautiful, isn't it? It's, yeah, like it's choice. Yeah, it's you, choice. It's action, reaction, everything. You don't know. I don't live, I don't, li- I yeah. never live like that. I've never once thought, what if? Oh, I could have done this and what if I'd have done that? For me, it's things happen. And all the way through my life as a kid and growing up, I've had adversity, knockbacks. And to, to the point I went back to Fulham, you know, trying to mask this injury. They were really good. You know, they put me straight into rehab. I had knee surgery, came back rehab. And then the first game back, my knee went again in pretty yeah. much the first tackle I did. And I remember looking at, you know, my granddad and I was just hitting the floor in pure frustration thinking, I oh, fuck this. Um, but they yeah. were good. I got rehabbed again, came back. It did it again. That was me released. And then I went to college. I was like, shit, now what do I do? Um, okay, let's go to college. And I really was interested in mechanical engineering at the time, you know, from cars and bikes. So I was like, okay, I'll do a scholarship in mechanical engineering. Turn up to the people in there. It was one of those open days at college and it was right, uh, here we go, fucking, um, uh, let's have a look at the grades. I didn't have the grades for maths. It's always been my gremlin. So now I'm looking around thinking, now what? I look over in the corner, there's loads of birds and in the corner. I'm like, what's going on over there? It's the sports science bit. Yeah. I'll, have some, I'll have me some of that, you know. So over I, over I trot and I, um, uh, I get myself into a BTEC national diploma in, a, in, in sports science, which is a two-year course. By this stage, I've rehabbed the knee back. I'm now playing for the college football team. I then get picked up to play for the British college team, to the whole of the British colleges, um, England team. Um, so I'm getting back on track with the football, sort of thinking this might be back on. You know, I'm getting interested in other clubs. Um, and then I got offered a full paid scholarship to go to um, America. So it was a three-year fully paid football scho- soccer scholarship to go yeah. and play out there. So that was exciting for me. It was a, let's get out of here. Let's get out of this environment. Let's, there's more to life than, than this town. And I want to explore, uh, you know, what's out there. So for me, that was amazing. I, I had everything booked, my flight, all this sort of stuff. Long story hopefully not long, uh, I filled in a load of amateur eligibility forms incorrectly, so they deemed me to be a professional in their amateur league, which then halted the application process for 12 months. Now I'm fucking 18, I'm like, I can't wait a year. A year, you know, at that age, you know, you just want to get going. So then I'd also started thinking, while all this was going on, uh, looking at, well, the Iraq war was kicking off. So, you know, around that time, 2003 and stuff, I was like looking at Iraq was all over the news and the Royal Marines was spiking my interest and the military. Nobody from my family had joined the military before. So it wasn't like I, it was an avenue that was that was like preconditioned or, or was forced upon me. It was something that just interested me. You know, it looked hard. It looked challenging. It's something that I thought I should be doing as part of, you know, being British and, and, and wanting to help. Um, so that seed was planted. So when the football stuff didn't work out, and at this stage I've got a, a part-time job while I'm in college, I'm working as a lifeguard, but I'm now, I've now just uh, completed my um, personal training course. I'm working at a local council-run gym, you know, and it's, it's that monotony. It was great, good for me personally, um, you know, selfishly for training. Um, but again, it was something, it just cemented my, my decision. Is this what I want to do? You know, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? And I then started reading books like Andy McNabb books and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, Bruce Lee. And I started 
I started daydreaming. I started dreaming of bigger things and, and opportunity and what that would look like and how that would shape who I am and, uh, and my future, I guess. So from that point, I actually then started looking in more detail as to what that would look like in terms of joining the military. So I went down to the Armed Forces Careers Office in Nottingham. And um, fortunately for me at the time, the guy that was sat behind the desk was a Royal Marine. You know, he had his green beret on, quite a big imposing character. I walk in, I said, look, if I'm going to join the military, I want to I join the hardest things. What's the hardest infantry course I can join? And he sort of said, look, it's, it's, it's the Marines. You know, you've also got the paras, you know, arguably. So, you know, for people that don't know, for context, in the British military, you know, probably the hardest infantry courses you can do, it's the Marines or the paras, you know. Um, the Marines is the longest, well, it was at the time, 32 weeks basic training. Um, and the, the Paris is, is very similar as well. So I went down the Marines route. So I started doing all the medical tests, all the physical tests and uh, the induction stuff. And before I know it, mate, I'm on a fucking train. I'm, I'm cruising into Exmouth uh, the, and, and the Royal Marines Commando Training Centre in Limpston. I'm stepping off the train, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, suitcase in hand, like in oversized suit on uh, and getting screamed and shouted at for a an induction course, a five day pre selection or pre joining course to join the Royal Marines. We got beasted around for five days, crawling, fireman's carries, climbing rope, doing all the stuff, getting filthy, dirty, running around, and I fucking loved it. And I was like, yes, I I fucking love this. You know, I had some clear benefits from my um my base level of fitness from football playing at a high level of football physically i was in a good place you know obviously it was tiring it was hard but i felt good but for me it was more what what the raw marines stood for in terms of their values their core ethos and you know unity and loyalty and respect and trusting each other and cheerfulness in the face of adversity all these mantras that were on the wall everywhere that really cemented who i wanted to be as a character and i could see the camaraderie and the tightness and the bond that brotherhood that 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 i guess um you can only get from specialist places like that and i knew that you couldn't buy yourself into this club you had to earn that green beret and the only way to do that was to start on day one and finish at week 32 and then you could be awarded you know the coveted green beret at the end and when you do those 32 weeks that you're talking about there's there's not many people that go straight through is there the whole 32 weeks without getting injured or without getting something happen to them yeah so i guess one of the um it's an arduous course physically you have to be very robust and injury is one of those things which is you know i don't believe in luck but there is certainly a little bit of lady luck involved with that. You know, anyone can twist an ankle, twist a sock, you know, pop a shoulder. And because you're carrying heavy loads and it, look, it's built up over time, you know, but I think you do need the rubber of the green. You need a little bit of luck. But I started on day one and I finished in my troop on week 32. And it's called an original. If you finish as an original, that means that you've gone all the way through without having to be taken out of the out of the, the training cycle, be rehabilitated, then put back into the cycle in, with a different troop. You know, so there's, yeah. let's say there's 50, 60 people start on day one, there's usually not many originals left. So if you get injured on week 16 in the in the Marines, yep. and you've not done anything wrong, but you just got injured, they put you into rehabilitation, then they bring you back in on week 17? Week, yeah, or well, the same week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 In another troop, whenever you're, whenever you're healthy and ready exactly. to go again. Exactly that. So you don't have to set the whole thing again. No. But wouldn't... But I suppose it'd be harder for you to come back off rehabilitation and be fit enough to be able to, and in the mental capacity, place enough to be able to go through that. Well, they're two different things. Physically, you would be in a good place because the part of the rehab um, 
process is there is it's it's very very professional so if you're injured you are with uh, rehabilitation staff you're then built up it's called i think hunter troop it was called at the time it, it may be different now and you would be rehabilitated and physically um, rehabilitated to the same level in which you exited so you have to do all these tests that make sure that you are physically ready to be inserted back into week 16 the mental aspect is is a whole different thing yeah, you know yeah, yeah. it it's horrible to see you know, and it, I didn't have that. You know, it didn't happen to me, fortunately. But it does affect a lot of people. You get pulled out. You know, and all these guys, it's 16 weeks doesn't sound like a long time. But when you're eating, sleeping, shitting, everything together as a group and a body of men for 16 weeks, they're your muckers. They're your friends. And they that train continues. And you have to get off. And you're fucking waving to them like, I oh, wish you all the best. And, you know, you might come in. It might only be, it might only be two weeks. It might be six months, you know, it depends on the, on the severity of your injury. So these people could be passing out at week 32 with their green berets and you'd probably go and look at that and, and, and hopefully have some inspiration from that. But at the same time, that must be, that must be a bitter pill to swallow. It's but, sweet. And I suppose some of these guys that you're meeting and you're in, in the Marines with and you're going through this training with, you're becoming like brothers. They're the people that have lasted the, yeah, the test of, of time. You still know them now, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's... Um, you know, you build a good bond there. But I think for me, when you, you finish at week 32, you know, we're condensing a long period of time there. You know, you go from, you go from Staz civilian, you know, and you, 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 you finish a different person, you know. Yeah. You've learnt so much about yourself and what your body, but more importantly, what your mind is capable of, you know. So you feel an immense sense of pride when you, when you finish. You feel like you actually, you've achieved something that is, that is difficult, that is fucking hard to achieve. To get a green beret is hard. It is difficult. So you do feel a, you know immense level of pride and satisfaction in yourself, but also you're happy for for that group as well. From there, you then go and get distributed into your respective units. So uh, there's there's different units around uh, the UK uh, geographically where they're where they're based and. I went to 40 Commando based in Taunton. I went straight into Bravo Company, oddly enough, you know, with Louis, the other co-founder of, of Through Dark. That's where I met Louis. Uh, Ant Middleton was in that. Some other people that have actually all, a lot of that troop actually went on to, to do special forces um, selection. So I was in a good troop. I immediately got deployed on my first operational tour to Afghanistan. So, you know, from going to the end of 32 weeks, I'm a changed person. I've got my Green Beret. I joined, you know, my commando unit, my company. And within about three months, before I knew it, I was, uh, I was in Kabul, uh, Afghanistan's capital, um, and learning from the offset, steep learning curve. I imagine that when you... Go from this training. Obviously, the Marines is hard training. There's no doubt about that. But when you get into a war zone, that's a completely different animal to to be involved with, isn't it? It is. You, you kind of you kind of must feel, even though you're well trained anyway. But you get off there, you must feel like you're not even been trained at all. Yeah, and I, I've I've never had a professional fight, but I, I probably liken it something to that. You know, imagine. You know, you're training, you're training, you're training, you're training. You know, I'm talking from, let's say, boxing yeah. as an example. Um, and you're sparring, you're sparring, you're sparring. Now it's ring walk time. And you walk out, the bright lights, the crowd, the adrenaline, the, the anxiety, you know, all those feelings that you're dealing with. And the next thing you're getting punched in the face. And it, for some people, that's, that's difficult, you know. And you have to uh, understand that it's a difficult and different challenging mental stimulates the mentally stimulated environment it is you can't prepare for that 
You know, you can't prepare for, you know, um, a, a story. First example for me is going out on patrol. One of the first time I went out on, on a patrol, I'm talking outside of the gate. You know, I mean, looking back now, the, the equipment and the vehicles were very different to they are now. You know, the enemy obviously adapted and changed in terms of its tactics and procedures and, and IEDs, improvised explosive devices, which, you know, most people have probably heard or seen. At the time, they were there, but not as prevalent. So we roll out in soft skin vehicles. We're hanging out the top of like a what is like a Land Rover Defender, you know, the old school ones with the tops off. There's a couple of lads in the back. We've got weapons. One, one driver, one commander. Was four, five vehicles, and we're doing our routine patrol stuff. And um, the first time I kind of experienced any type of warfare was, you know, coming under small uh, contact and an IED explosion. It was not one of our vehicles, a different vehicle. It hit a civilian vehicle. You know, and an RPG went off, and you know the chaos. The absolute chaos that ensued and, you know, you think you're trained to deal with this stuff, but you're really not. You know, you, you, you are, you're consumed and overwhelmed by, by a sensory overload of information. And that's the, probably the one way I can describe it of just what the fuck is going on. And most people have experienced that probably in life, whether it's a car crash or something happens, you know, a big fight, some bits that fight, flight or freeze scenario you know, and the con- different conditions that your brain goes through from white to yellow to orange to red and, and how those different ki- conditions affect you physiologically, you know, and, and psychologically, what am I doing? You know, but you're trained, you ki- your training kicks in, you do all this stuff and just, it's a surreal environment, you know, and uh, that, this fucking explosion went off and we're doing our thing, we're doing our drills that we've been taught and setting perimeters and we're making sure everybody's safe. And I just remember being in a position, like a fire position, looking out and, you know, looking for the enemy. And a fucking dog ran over to me. It fucking comes over. It's daytime. And I'm thinking, oh, fucking up, fuck off. That fucking dog's coming in. And I'm like, what the fuck is that in its mouth? And it just drops a guy's penis next to us, me and another guy. And we're like, what? Is that a fucking penis? Yeah. It's just, and then the dog fucking white tails waggling and it just runs off. And it was just like, what the fuck? It's going on, you know, it's just, a, you know, how do you, how do you prepare for that, you know, and then it's, next thing it's bullets overhead and you're back in the cars and you're back in and it's, and that's your induction, that's, you know, that's your, wow, that's your first firefight. And well, you, well. From the outside looking in or, I always look at like visualisation is a big thing for me, how do I want to act when something happens and you all run this through in your mind and you've probably done it from a basic level of in a fight, I'm going to do this and I'm, I'm going to posture like this and this is how I will react and this is how I will communicate and I'm going to be ready and you then get in a fight and it's just woof, tunnel vision yeah. and it's what the fuck happened to, the, to, to Frankie and you play everything back and shit, it was a lot different. Like I, I reacted a lot different to what I thought I would and it's, it's not a. It's not a pretty. It's not like fucking Hollywood, you know. It's not. We see these Hollywood films, and it gives a um, um, a distorted view on reality of warfare. Even when I've been out, been on like nights out with you, uh, you know, in Portugal and stuff, it's like you've never switched off from the mentality that everyone comes home. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you're always, you're always thinking like, what you know. Where's, where's, is Frankie all right? Is, is Dean all right? Is, and, and there's always that going on. So I imagine that comes from this environment, you know, that you've, you know, you've had to make sure that your troop comes home when you're in control of a troop and all this kind of stuff. Does that, is that, is that naturally come into civilian life as well? 
yeah, I think obviously that, that bleeds across clearly into civilian uh, life and there's mannerisms that are attached to that. But I think one of the biggest things that the military gave me was a very unique perspective on life and situations, you know, um, definitely numbed me to certain scenarios and situations that I, you know, you know, I've been with places with you know, my wife Ruby and, and things happen, a fight or a car crash or something that ordinarily people sort of scream and ah, you know, we have that reaction, that natural, it's like, like uh, what's the film Snatch, you know, when, yeah. when everyone pulls that stupid face, but Brad Pitt's looking fucking cool and collected because you're, you're used to these, these other senses coming in and your brain is, is conditioned to it. And it's kind of, yeah, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. And then it gets to a point where then there's a reaction that you need to take, whether that's... But I've already thought these things through. I'm in a place, where's my exits? You know, who's here? Who are the threats? Who are the non-threats? Who are the people that are going to fight? Who are the people that are going to fly? Who's going to fucking freeze? Who's going to be useful to me? What can I use in my environment right now that would help me? Be that a barricade or what am I carrying personally? You know, who's with me? What are the priorities? Whether that's my kids, whether it's my wife, whether it's all, you know, and how quickly can I get out of the situation? Because clearly that's what you want to happen as a, as a, and the last thing you want to be doing is getting pulled and drawn into a situation that you don't need to be pulled into. But yeah, that's definitely bleeds across from military and everything that you're conditioned to. Oh, I really want to dive into what you just said there about previously about visualization as well yeah because you said that you've visualized things your your entire life and obviously you've learned different skills of enhancing your visualization and obviously you've created this phenomenal business on the back of probably visualization as well so can you give me like a a bit of a, a guide to how you visualize stuff and how you bring that into your reality yeah um I actually didn't realize I was doing this for quite some time. It's not until you get a little bit older and you become a little bit more introspective and you try to understand and analyze why and how you do things, you know. Um, and it wasn't until I started going through that process and sort of thinking to myself, how do I get from A to B? And, and whether that's training, whether that's business, whether that's, you know, um, uh, jujitsu or something, everything for me, begins and ends with visualization. And that's me putting myself in a situation. There's an example, I did this when I was playing football as a kid. You know, you're playing at a high level. You know, how do I deal with what's about to happen? I would always be thinking about outcomes. I would visualize myself in that position, playing the game in my next game, my position, how I wanted to control myself, how I would um, react with the ball under pressure if we were winning, if we were losing. And generally speaking, 95% of my visualization was positive. It was always seeing myself doing good for the right reasons. It was always, I'd get the ball, control, and my head would be up. I would be looking for options and passes. If not, I would be moving forward into space. I would be picking out uh, the correct passes. I'd be tackling hard. I'd be winning all the headers. I'd visualize that over and over and over again. So when I was playing football, it was always a positive visualization for me. It was never, a, oh shit, what if I fumble the ball? And you have that, but I would very quickly eradicate that from my mindset. You know, so when it came to the Marines, I would visualize what I thought a Royal Marine would do in a situation. I wouldn't visualize myself as Staz the recruit. I would visualize myself as Staz the Marine with my green beret on, acting as a soldier, you know, a professional soldier. How would I carry myself? How would I hold my weapon? How would my kit be configured? You know, mentally, when things are tough and I would be physically drained, how would I want myself to look to the outside world? How would I want to be perceived? And how would that make me feel as a person? You know, and I think that helps. If you, 
you know, there's times where, you know, there's lots of examples I can give you in, in Marines training, for example, when you, you know, times are difficult, very hard physically, and you can even lean into that difficulty and that adversity and gain from that and see yourself coming out the other end, going through the fire, through the hardship with a smile, a wry smile on your face and getting to the other end and just almost having that sense of, I can do, I can do this. I know I can do it because I've visualised myself doing it. And I did that a lot through football, through Marines, and then later on when I went on to Special Forces Selection and then now into business as well. And, and you've noticed all the way through your life that everything that you've intensely visualised in that in that manner, where you've just literally sat down and you've just thought of this and you've run that pattern, everywhere that you've done that in your life, have has most of these things come true in your reality? Not all, but for the most part, yes. Um, and for me, it's mainly about um, how I would want to deal with certain situations. You know, what's, what's the best outcome in a situation that I can... Um, specifically look at myself as an individual things that are outside of my control I don't fucking worry about I can't control that so what can I control how can I think positively about what's within my control and how can I look for the best outcome in all those situations and environments and that's difficult that comes with time it's a constant it's a constant training um, mechanism for I think for your own brain internally you know for me a lot of the times it's not it's not you know, what I'm saying to myself, you know, it's how I'm saying it, you know, that's, that's important. How am I talking to myself day to day? And listen, every day's not an, every day's not an A, is it? You know, some days that you're a B, some days you're a C and, you know, some days you, you feel shit, but you have to just understand and recognize that. What am I 90% of the time? I'm, I'm an A. I think, and I talk to myself like I'm an A. But there's days where things get on top, you know, and there's external factors that that now do start affecting you, you know, but creating that force field, that bubble around yourself really helps me to manage my own thoughts in my mind. You know, I control my mind. One of the biggest things I learned in, in the Marines, in special forces training was that you can break me physically, but you cannot break me mentally. I, I, I control my mind. I control how I think and how I react in every situation that you can put me in. Is every training method that they use in order to help you control your mind, is that all done through physicality first? So they have to like break you physically and then teach you how to use your mind when you're in that low physical state? Yeah, it's a combination of both. But in its purest, singlest, most easiest to understand form, it's physical, you know. How you react right now, if we went and did a workout and you feel great, you know, you're, you're, you're taking your pre-workout and you've had your shakes, you feel great. It's I'm off time. caffeine stuff. I know, I've seen it, <laughs> you're trying to offload it to me. Yeah. Um, if you feel great when you're doing something and, uh, you know, we all like to train when we feel good, you know, that obviously, you know, a lot of people are training to be better mentally and physically and you've maybe got a training program and you, you select when that is, you know, you're well rested, you're well fed, mentally you're in a good place, you go... I'm going to go to the gym and you say to yourself, I'm going to train and I feel great. And, you know, you're controlling that. You're controlling the environment that you're putting yourself in. If I said to you, Frankie, we're going to go away for three days. The first thing you're going to say is, what are we doing? And then two, uh, what do I need? You know, if you don't know something and it's unknown to you in your brain, then you start fucking worrying. You start going, well, what, what am I doing? Is it physical? Am I going to... And this is what the, the military do really well, is they take you out of an environment that you're comfortable in, they physically break you, you know, so you're fatigued, physically drained, and then they layer it with no sleep, and then they layer it with 
no food. And then they, then they layer it with complex tasks. And then they expect all of this to come together. And then at the end of that, they'll look at who you are as a person. Because I don't want to know. We all know who Frankie Lee is right now. He's a fun guy. I'm a fun guy. I'm a great guy. If I induced all of those stages to you over... Who do, who do I turn into? Who do you turn into? That's the real you. Yeah. And a lot of people, there's that Japanese um, thing, isn't it, about, which I find fascinating, about three masks. We all have three masks. You know, we have the one mask that we wear every fucking day. We're both wearing our mask now. And it's the mask that we want to present to the world. It's the mask that we, we love, that we like other people to see. You know, that's our mask to, that we that we go out with and it's this 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 guy and this is who I am. I'm stars, look at me, I'm I'm this, I'm that, and that's my that's my mask that it's like the first layer. That's me. The second mask the second mask, once you remove that mask, is the mask that is probably more of a true reflection of who you are. That is that you only really reveal to your close friends, your family, the people that really know you. They understand you deeply. They've been around you for years. And they've seen you in these different environments. They know how you react. They know who you are as a person. And then the third mask, if you remove the second mask, is the, is, is, is actually you. That, that's who you fucking are. That's the person that you are when all the lights are off, when nobody's around, when you're fucking sat at home and you're eating fucking Cheerios out of a dog bowl, <laughs> cursing yourself mentally and struggling and dealing with life and the ugly self, the true self, the true reflection of who you are as a person. All those dark things that, that you do, that you think, and we all, we're all guilty of it, you know, but it's, at times, nobody sees that, you know, only you get to see that person. It's that person, you know, it's that beautiful quote about the man in the mirror, you know, and having that reflection you have to look at yourself in the mirror and understand who you are as a person and deal with that, deal with who you actually are as a person. Because it's easy, we can all put the masks back on. But it's that, it's that first mask that you really have to understand deeply and develop and it takes fucking hard, hard time and investment. Do you think then that looking inward is probably the best Thing that people can do now because everyone's going to the external world to look for validation to look for likes and dopamine hits and success and external stuff everything's external but looking within is kind of what you're saying is where you kind of find out who the fuck you are yeah listen i'm not i, I, I kind of sound like i'm fucking some kind of monk and i'm not you know i think the quicker that you can realize that you are in control of everything you know, your life, your destiny, how you treat people, how you react to certain situations, how you talk to yourself physically, you know, every day, what are you saying to yourself? You know, what does it sound like? And that's really fucking important, how you communicate with yourself. And we all beat ourselves up, you know, we all, and rightly so, we should always have that growth mindset. We should always be looking at ourselves and, and, and questioning what we're doing, why we're doing it, and then how we're communicating that internally to ourselves. I can't, it's something crazy, isn't it? Your brain can do something 4,000 thoughts in a minute or, so, or something mad, you know? We're a complex, very complex um, um, mechanism, aren't we? Look at us, look at how we're made up. It's beautiful, but at the same time, it can be quite tragic, you know? And if we look to your point about external validation and the world that we currently live in through social media and this, this glass, this false glass of fucking bullshit that people are, are being pulled into and kids and you know I need to be this I need to look like that and you know what if I what if I don't get accepted because I you know I'm not right I'm not wearing the right fucking shoes I'm not drinking the right fucking drink it is a minefield
field, you know. So for me, as long as you can be at one with yourself without sounding too Gandhi and being happy, that, you know, I think for me that is, that's key. That's key to happiness, stillness, being, you know, aware that you can control that, you know. But it's difficult, mate. We all want to be at look at the chimp paradox, you know. We've probably read the chimp paradox, a fantastic book, you know, from Professor Steve, um, Steve Peters. That that book allowed me to understand more about myself than probably anything I'd read or heard before. You know, to deeply understand that there are parts of our brain which we can't control. That chimp brain that is there and it's inbuilt with us, and and those layers are imparted into you by external factors, your upbringing, it's the nature-nurture thing. There's a lot of things that are preset. Once they're set in your brain, they're set, you know, and that's the chimp, you know, the, the, the fucking flashing at the road users and being unhappy and, you know, wanting to curse and, and reacting, you know, not in the correct manner to people, you know, being aggressive and, you know, all those kind of things, but understanding it, allowing it to have its voice, but being aware, I think awareness is the main key here for me, being aware that it's happening, allow it, allow it to do its thing, then, rein it back in, now you're back into, you know, the computer and, and, and the other brain as well, allowing you to to really understand yourself. And I think you, the key piece there is is having the awareness to be able to find the peace, because if you don't have the awareness to, the, to, the, to that mind going and that constant movement, you're kind of never going to find the peace that you want to find. But you, I just want to go into, obviously you moved then into the special forces, because I want to touch on this because it, it's this is this is where I think a lot of your I think a lot of this came from the Marines, but I think a lot of your even your insights there um, are even more in depth to the special forces side of things. Because obviously, you 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 see the special forces moving around the camp, as far as I'm aware, and you and you think these guys look cool. Oh, I'd love to do that, and then you start to go on the pursuit of okay, how do I get into the SAS, the SBS? How do I how do I become one of these? How do I, if I'm going to be in the Marines, I want to be one of the most elite that I can be. That's kind of your mindset right now, yeah? Yeah, that's correct. So to sort of, to your original point there, the Marines set me up for success. You know, it really did set me up for success in terms of the military. And I loved the military. I'd found my calling and everything like that. It, it was great for me as a person, as an individual. Um, the first, I mean, when you're in the Marines, you, you know about special forces. It's kind of shrouded in mystery and everything else. You don't really see or feel the special forces. They're their own unit, their own entity. They're out doing all the, the stuff that nobody knows about. The first time that I physically saw them, I was on the main gate in Kabul, Afghanistan, you know, um, allowing cars to ingress, egress out of the camp. And enrolled these two uh, civilian vehicles. They put the you know the Union Jack on the front, and blah, blah, and they step out. It's a checkpoint before they're allowed into the, into the camp. Uh, and I'm on the gate, and I'm like, who the fuck are these dudes? Out jump the eight of these guys, which I now know to be SBS operators. You know they've got wearing um, to give context, wearing military clothing. You know and uh, weapons, all that kind of stuff, and berets. These guys jump out. They're in jeans, approach shoes, flannel shirts. You know baseball caps long hair, beards, different like plate carriers, chest rigs, different weapon systems, different communication systems. And to your point, they just look fucking cool. You know, they look like the rock stars. And I remember looking at the guy that I was with, like, who the fuck are these badasses, you know? And he was like, it's this fucking, it's the SBS, it's the special forces guys. And that really kind of planted the seed for me. And it, it intrigued me. And I thought, I want to, I want to be that. I want now, I want to see myself in their shoes and doing that job and being those people. I didn't know necessarily what they did, 
but it intrigued me and I was curious and I always wanted to push myself. I'd always wanted to be the best at anything that I was doing. You know, the Marines was that. And then within the Marines, I did my sniper course. The sniper course is arguably the hardest infantry course that you can do when you're in the Marines. You know, I was looking, I was always scratching. I was, I'd got my green beret and what's next, right? Go do the sniper course. It's, it's fucking hard. You know, if you pass that, you are a, you are then at another level within the Marines in terms of infantry skills and, um, uh, and being at the top of your game, you know, being a sniper, it's a prestigious role and position to to have within uh, within the Marines. So I did that as a sort of a precursor of me going on selection. So then I started really looking into selection in terms of, right, let's let's have a look at what, let's break this down in terms of, and for me, I've always kind of done that. I've never looked, you have to look at the whole, you look at, you know, what is month zero to, you know, week 32 at the end in terms of the Marines, but I never really did that. I always just broke everything down and sometimes it would be week by week. Some days it's day by day. And when it's a fucking stinker of a day, you're hour by hour and minute by minute. Depending. So you reverse engineer everything? Reverse engineered it. So what does it look like to be special forces? What do I need to do? How long is the course? Okay. The course is that long. It's now broken down into four parts okay, what's the first part? Okay, the hills. What do I need to do to do the hills? Right, I need to be physically fit and robust to navigate effectively and efficiently by myself over the Welsh mountains, carrying a heavy load and, uh, and be, current, uh, be competent in my abilities to navigate and to look after myself in that environment. Right, put myself in that environment and start training for that. You know, and break each day down. I then go on selection. I'm then, I'm in selection. I'm on, I'm on the course. There's 240 people. You know, and I'm and I'm concentrating on me. It's hard not to look left and right. We all look left and right, and we're all comparing ourselves. That's natural, you know. And so there's some absolute units on these courses. I'm talking big, you know, uh, 16, 18 stone Adonis of men that you're looking around and thinking, "Fuck, this guy looks the part. He looks like a Hollywood. He looks like um, Drago or something." You know, you're thinking, "This this guy looks the part." You know, he's um, confident and he's had more experience with me in the Marines and I'd only been in the Marines for three years I'd had an operational tour I'd done the sniper course so I'd set myself up but that's relatively um, a, a small amount of experience and time within the Marines before you join selection so I do selection I I go through the hills phase and I'm uh, physically I'm very fit you know I can move well I can carry heavy loads well you know so the, the hills phase for me was was I'm not going to say it's fucking enjoyable because it, there's some times there where I was questioning what the fuck I was doing, you know. But it's also important to understand that it's a it's a voluntary course. You volunteer to go on that course. You're putting yourself in that situation. So, and and to caveat that, you can exit stage left anytime. You can go the fuck. Well, this isn't for me, you know, and people do that in different ways. Some people do just break physically and mentally and say, do you know what, this is harder physically and mentally than anything. Uh, I was prepared for, so I'm going to pull myself. You voluntary withdrawal from the course. Another way out is injury. So if you do, you know, people are always rolling ankles, snapping legs, all that stuff, so just because of the, the, the sheer weight that you're carrying on your pack. Uh, and other people have a J1 issue where something's not right at home or they've been offered a different course. And, you know, if they've going onto that course without a clear mind, i.e. something that something's happening at home and, you know, the, the kids aren't well, there's some distraction external to that course, then that will feed, feed, feed. And then they'll probably eventually pull themselves off, pull themselves off. That sounds good. <laughs> <doesn't it? laughs> 
<laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, so I went through the hills phase. At the end of the hills phase, you, there's a test week. Uh, there's certain things that you have to do over certain distances, carrying a certain load in the times. There's certain parameters that you have to make. And if you don't make them, then you can be... Uh, told that you aren't good enough, basically. So that's the that's the next out. Is you're there, you still want to be there, you're trying, but Johnny's best isn't good enough. Sort of set, sort of sketch. So I went into uh, test week, uh, completed test week, and then you then move into. So you're, you're feeling quite good, like physically. You're thinking after four four or five weeks here on the hills, and I'm mixing it, and I'm up near the front, I'm feeling strong. You know, all the it's killed off. It's called a lot of people. You know, the 240 people now. There's maybe I don't know uh, 160. So it's killed a lot of these people off. And all these people that turn up, the majority are marines and paras. You know, they're strong, fit boys. You know, they're not they're not dross. So that makes you feel a bit better. It's like Highlander, you know, the old, you take the heads off and in the end there can only be one. You, you feel that, that kind of, that, that energy, that kind of um, positive reinforcement that, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm in the right place. I'm doing okay here. And then you go to the jungle. So the first phase tests you physically, you know, uh, in terms of can you move with weight very quickly over these periods um, and look after yourself, administrate yourself, and be there at the end. The jungle is completely fucking different. Are we talking Brunei or where are we talking? It doesn't matter where it is. It's, it's, it's leaves and trees and jungle. So you, you insert into the jungle. You have a week before you go into the jungle in, in the location. You're getting beasted up and down the, the, uh, the beaches. They, uh, they call it acclimatization. It's a beasting up and down. Um, some people pull out of that phase, you know, the heat, the uh, humidity just absolutely destroys some of the bigger guys, the fair-haired guys. You then sort your kit out, you helicopter in, it's like a scene out of Predator, you know, the ups going in the choppers, and it's just green everywhere, you get flown in, you're dropped in, and then that's you for four weeks with all the kit and equipment that you have to last and sustain yourself for four weeks, if you pass. And the, and, and the, the jungle is... is it's very unique in terms of environment. It's a very, very difficult environment to soldier in. You know, and that's now what they're looking at. You're in a four-man patrol. You've got one DS directing staff with you all the time, watching, listening, living and breathing with you in the jungle to see how you can operate as a special forces guy within a small four-man operating team. So it's different now. Clearly, you still need the physical aspect because physically it is fucking draining it is the disgusting environment to walk in to operate and to move in it's it just saps your very soul from your body it, it's physically very very difficult um but what they're seeing what they're looking for is can you do the basic drills to a very high standard and that's special forces through and through it's not it's nothing gucci that you think wow hollywood it's can you do what we tell you to do to a very high standard consistently and keep doing it day in day out and deal with that monotony and still remain on point when you are physically and mentally um, exhausted. And how do you react with your team? It's that layer thing. They add these layers of complexity on from sleep to food to um, complex tasks. And then they mix it all together. And then you start to see people's, the masks start coming off and you start to see who people really are, you know, and that's what they're looking for. You know, when you're absolutely fucked, can you do the basics well? And also, do you work well with others? Do, do you play well with others? You know, because that happens. Because I thought selection was hard. At the time, it was the most difficult thing I'd ever done. And then I went out on operations with the SPS. And then you, then you make the link, like, fuck, shit, now I get it. Now I fucking get it. 
And then you go from the jungle, if you're successful, you pass the jungle, then you go into resistance to interrogation, which you've probably seen on, on the TV shows, you know, the white noise, baby screams, being professionally interrogated by people. Um, that was probably one of the biggest kick in the balls for me along selection, just because it's not spoken about. You don't understand the process. Uh, b- before you go into the resistance to interrogation, you're on the run for about five days. You know, you have, so you're knackered. You're apt, that's the, the most tired I've ever been. And compounded with four weeks of running around hills, five yeah. weeks of jungle, now on the run for five days. You then get snatched at the end of that five days and you're into 36 hours of, of intense interrogation. So when they say interrogation, you're talking about waterboarding and all that stuff as well? There's all sorts of methods and, 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 and things that they use, which I won't really go into the, into the detail, but it, it's difficult. Very, very, very mentally, that was, that was the biggest mental um, challenge for me on selection was being in my own head for 36 hours when I was absolutely fucking chin-strapped uh, at the lowest ebb, you know, you're hanging on by a fucking thread and you have to, you have to, you have to own your mind, you know, your ballot, your hooded noises, you know, for the most part, stress positions, and then you're pulled out and you're into an interrogation. You then have to play the part of what you're doing and why you're there, you know, and not break down physically or mentally, and then you're back in again, and this happens for 36 hours. At the end of that, if you're successful, you then go on to the weapons and tactics phase of training. Now we've got this person that's physically robust, works well with others, can do the basics well to a high standard, is safe in, in that environment. He's also can act and react well uh, under pressure in terms of resistance to interrogation. Now let's see if you can uh, do all the things that we're asking you to do from a weapons and tactics and standard operating procedures point of view. You know, it's the it's the gas masks on, the entry stuff, the demolitions, the abseiling, the running around, the ranges, the shooting. And they're always just layering, 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 complex, complex tasks and issues, new kit, new equipment, new weapon systems. Learn it, go and show that you know what, uh, what we've just taught you and put it to practice to a very high standard. Is business now easier because, well, it must be a hell of a lot easier now because you can literally say, well, do you know what? I've been to a hell of a lot harder places and a hell of a lot harder things than I'm doing here. So surely business for you has become easy, has it? <laughs> Not at all, mate. No. Fuck, it is a complex, you know, nuanced, difficult environment to operate and navigate. Because, you know, I, I pass selection, you know, and I then join a squadron and it's you, fucking snakes and ladders back to the bottom again. You know, I'm badged, I'm special forces. And it's like, fuck it. No, you're not, mate. You know, now you learn. The next 10 years for me within special forces was was learning and it was doing. It was now put all of this stuff into practice operationally. And that was, that was um, some of the best times of my life, you know, but the most challenging times of my life as well. It really developed and shaped the person that I am today and I'm forever thankful for the people that I met, the opportunities that I was given from training to traveling to, you know, I'm condensing 10 years of my form, the most formative part of my life within special forces and operational tours and, and any, everything that went on, you know, from the good, the bad, the ugly and the brilliant, you know, what was one of the hardest missions that you've ever been on? What hard as in physically or hard, hard, hard as in physically and mentally, because obviously um, you have to see, it's not just about what your physical body sees. It's about what your eyes and your mind experiences on the journey as well. Cause obviously like you, you have to lose people in, 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 in that field. You have to, you know, you lose people, things happen. What, 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 give me a, give me an example. I could give you a million examples, mate, but I think 
What's the one to that keep sticks this, out in your mind? Yeah. Well, you know, there's there's some jobs or operations go well, very well, and others don't, you know, and we always plan for the best and prepare for the worst. I think special forces are very unique in terms of what they can deliver operationally for the government. You know, we are very unique at what we can do in terms of how we are skilled. You know, when I was a, an assaulter, a knuckle dragger, a door kicker, whatever you want to say it is, you know, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a guy in the stack that can run, clear, uh, do room entry, you know, and, you know, there's a bad guy over here, let's go get him, he's a high-value target, you know, it's a, it's, um, it's a strategic importance that we do this, you know, because it has other knock downstream effect to wider operational military movement across the battlefield. So you know you're doing a good job, you're doing it for the right reasons, and it's high value. We always like to stack the odds in our favour. You know, we have lots of things that we can use at our disposal from technology and other bits and pieces that will always allow us to have the upper hand on our enemy. And jobs generally went very well. You know, we had, you know, Afghanistan when I joined, it was um, it was a a very kinetic time. It was rock star. It was everything you'd expect it to be within the military and special forces. It was like a Call of Duty game. But things don't always go well. And there's operations and jobs where people are shot, your friends are injured, and that very, very quickly changes what the mission output is and what's the primary objective, you know, because are we okay now to let this high-value target go to essentially look after one of our own? Absolutely. Or maybe not. And that depends on who, what, where, why, and higher up um, strategic um, input. But, you know, there's times where we've lost, you know, obviously lost guys. I've had helicopters blown out of the sky. I've been blown up in vehicles. You know, I've had Pulp Fiction style stupid moments that you just have to laugh and go, fuck, that was close, you know, and... But you love it. You, you're there for a reason. That adrenaline. There's no other feeling like that in life. What is it? Who's the guy who said there's no there's no feeling in life like like the hunting of man? And those that have have experienced that will never feel anything close that can ever resemble that. You know. But there's good. There's bad. But you know. Look, I signed up for that. I know what I was getting signed up for. There's been moments where I've I've thought, you know, fuck, this is it. It's my time. And I, you have a moment of just accepting that acceptance of just that's it you know if, 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 if we go if, if, if it ends now and am I happy yes have I pushed myself yes uh, am I am I happy with the type of person that I am and what I've achieved yes and you kind of you kind of release yourself to that to that you know to that moment um, it sounds quite dark but it's not um, it's just an acceptance of, of understanding that you are in that position you know and, and it can happen it does happen I've seen it happen so Rather than go into each specific details of operations and, and, and the specific details, it's probably sort of best just to kind of um, encapsulate encapsulate that. As yeah, probably terribly, but as because, best I can. Because obviously, war isn't war isn't glamorous. No, and I think again, this uh, it comes back down to you only know what you know. Like, I, I oftentimes think, and this is that perspective thing. I would love that ability to trans like transform you into me into a position or uh, an action or a mission that I was doing if we could transport you into my body in that moment at that time to know so what you could like. feel and experience what that feels like because I can't explain it I can't explain it you can't yeah. you, I can say to you oh my the feeling the gut-wrenching you know um 
fear and anxiety and, you know, trying to battle that positive visualization in your mind. Every job that I went out on, I would be visualizing how I would act, how I would move, you know, what would happen if this happened and, you know, how would I react if I got shot? What type of person do I want to be if I get shot? How do I, how do I want to react? You know, you go through all this kind of stuff and how does it look, you know, and... Have you ever been shot? No, no. Just close calls? Yeah, some mad Pulp Fiction moments, you know, I've been blown up in uh, vehicles, which was pretty bad and, and other stuff like that, but, and, and had close, real close calls and, yeah. Daisy chain IEDs and all that, I've heard yeah. you talk about in the past and yeah. how yeah. that, how that took out half your troop and yeah. all that kind of stuff and, and... There was one, uh, there was one scenario that I was that I that I've seen you talk about before, but it's quite interesting. It was how you reacted to it. Was you were on the side of a hill, and you thought you'd cleared all the enemy, and you get up, and the helicopter above you sh- shines a, a light on somewhere where there was was an enemy, and then all of a sudden a grenade comes over. And it's like you're you and this other mate you throwing grenades at each other and it's all like a bit chaos yeah chaos comedy chaos looking back now but at the time I was in a really shit position I was on a forward facing slope so I'm at the I'm at the bottom well, I'm near the top of the slope but it's forward facing so I'm in a really exposed position there behind hard cover behind rocks there's three people there the guys that were after you know we'd called in a 500 pound bomb you know the battle damage assessment was that they were all killed as I'm clo- as I'm closing in on, t- on the position to check to check Excuse me. As I'm closing in to check the position, that's when I'm notified above me. Look, there's movement to your front. Um, so obviously, I hit the fucking deck. I'm sort of on the communication, saying, "Give me a read. What is it? How many people? You know." And while this is going on, I then get the gr- grenade over, which lands about five feet from my head. I'm now trying to dig a hole with my chin, you know, just bracing for impact. That goes off, and I'm now crawling up towards the the position. I'm firing my gun into the position to try and keep the keep the heads down. Now I'm fumbling around trying to get my grenades out and pulling pins. I'm throwing grenades back and I'm crawling up the hill trying to get into a better position because I know I'm exposed and it's a, it's a shit position to be in. And as I get closer and closer, you know, there's now some fire support coming in from some, another team to my right to try and keep their heads down and suppress them while I can get into a position where I can assault the position. And from there, I just remember having that feeling of, of, of anger, of just... I can't fucking believe I'm in this position, and but but I have to do something about it. I can't just sit out here, you know, fucking, you know, um, just dangling in, in with my legs dangling in the wind. I've got to. I have to do something positive to make this this situation better. So then I moved forward and assaulted the position with the guys in, in there, and obviously had to deal with that threat. But you had um, to deal with all three. Yeah. Uh, yes. Crazy, crazy position to be in, isn't it? When you yeah. think about. It. Do you know, and then and then obviously they they they, they take you out of the situation, pick you up on the helicopter, and you're out and you're out the situation again. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> keep, we'll a bit keep more it, complex, but yeah, we'll, we'll keep we'll keep it Hollywood. But um, how? Do, so obviously all 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 this and all that stuff. I mean, we can't make like like I said before, we can't make war sound glamorous because it's it's clearly not. And you've clearly been for a lot of stuff. But the, but the most powerful thing I've learned of you today that I'd never even considered is how powerful the visualization, the mindset, the the getting, the the mental rehearsing, and and how to you know use that in your everyday life. I think you've you've given a real good things. But how how have you applied? So in, 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 in through Dark's position, obviously you can't, you come you come out of the special forces now. You you retire and you're looking around for something to do. How how did you apply 
um, the, the, the mindset that you had in order to find the next thing that was right for you to do and, and, and do through dark? I got excited with the stories. I didn't really answer your question. So yeah, you come around really nicely. I think before that, I'll give the context of I'm now approaching the end of my career. I finished, you know, I had a, a, a really fantastic decorated career. It was the best job in the world for me. It was everything I ever wanted to do and be. You know, I had an amazing, amazing time and experience from that. I've gained so much, but it was also probably, for me, it was the best job in the world, but also the most selfish job in the world. And it took its toll on my first marriage and everything else. And I'd now met my now wife, you know, Ruby, and it was towards the end of my career. I was now the chief sniper instructor for the unit. Um, and I was moving further and further, probably away from the, the pointy end. You know, I was 13 years into my military career, 10 within special forces, and I had I made the conscious decision to leave on a high. Um, for me, that was the right decision to make. It was, what do I want to do? What does that look like? And we were actually parachuting out in um, California with the squadron. Louis was there as well. So we're jumping out, doing all the practice stuff and a beautiful place. It's, well, it's, it's in the middle of nowhere, but we were talking about what life could look like on the outside. And unfortunately, Louis, you know, the other co-founder, um, was being medically discharged. You know, he had some injuries, and I think that's a, a common trait amongst most people from the military in general, but also special forces. You know, your hips, your knees, your back, everything just kind of... I think you condense 10 years probably worth of, of 40 years of the of the average person in terms of what you're asking your body to do, um, and probably mentally as well. So we wanted to leave, and we started looking at different options. You know, naturally, I think, from a skill set point of view, our skills would transfer really naturally into close protection, high-paid security jobs, you know, and and we did a bit of that. When we were leaving, we were, we were talking about clothing and kit and equipment and how important it is to the operator. And that's everything from a weapon system, night vision goggles, plate carriers, and then clothing. You know, we were afforded some of the best kit and equipment in the world, you know, really high-end, top-tier clothing and equipment. But we were still finding point, point, um, fault sorry, with the clothing element. So me being a sniper, I was always a, a kit pest. I was always playing with my own kit and equipment. I was always tinkering it. As an example, on my sniper course, you know, it, it's, it's conducted down in, in Exmouth again, and it's just the training area is covered with gorse bush, and people that know what a gorse bush is will understand you don't want to be yeah, crawling around it's, it's in a prick, fucking gorse bush. It's a prickly bush, isn't it? It's the Satan of bushes, I would say. <laughs> uh, mind you, yeah. I'll leave that joke. Um, <laughs> don't go. No. I knew where you were yeah. going. I knew where you were going to go, and I was like, "Stop! We don't. We don't need to do it, right?" Uh, okay, <laughs> not today. So the kit that you were given, you were crawling through these bushes, blah blah blah. Anyway, you'd always be for me making the kit fit the purpose, and that meant cutting off big, big heavy duty tent and applying it and stitching it to the front of your trousers, to the arse pad, to the elbows as you were crawling through, so you weren't getting smashed so much by it by the by. Um, Smashed by the bush. So, <laughs> so I'd always been like that. I don't, and when I joined Special Forces, you get all loads of kit and equipment. You're always fiddling and tinkering, and lads are always in the cages and playing with kit and equipment, making it fit for purpose, and it's quite unique and individual. So we loved that kind of element of it. Me and Louis started talking about, like, the outdoor space. We loved the outdoors. We loved kind of that aspect of it. And then we started saying, well, what do we wear normally for outdoors, and what's wrong with it? And we were kind of looking at all the other brands and saying, ah, they're kind of fucking boring. They all look the same. And as an analogy, they're kind of, for me, the main brands that are, this is a huge market, the outdoor market. If we look at UK and some elements of, of US and Europe, those brands are like, a, they're, they're traveling down the fucking M1, this motorway. 
and they're generally all driving the same car. They're travelling at the same fucking speed, you know, and it, and you can sort of see where they're heading, generally in the direction. And for me, what did we want through dot to to do and be? We wanted to we wanted it to be aspirational, but we also wanted it to bring in elements of our experience. You know, we had credibility, we had authenticity, we'd used clothing in every environment in the world from snow to desert to jungle you know and we knew what the clothing how the clothing had to perform we knew what good kit was we knew what shit kit was you know for us it was right well how can we do this and and i think you need naivety before you start any endeavor business whatever you need a level uh, of naivety and we had that we could, we kind of thought well how hard can it be making some clothing you know we know what we want we know what we like you know we'll just go out and make some clothing this was sort of back in 2017 2018 so off we go we see all this kind of outdoor industry going this way and we think fuck it we'll just get our, our buggy and we'll just go off road we'll get we'll start heading in the direction of travel generally but we'll do it our way and we will do it authentically incredibly and we'll keep it um I guess, true and pure to what we know. You know, we are who we are. We are the co-founders, me and Louis. We've got 26 years of combined UK Special Forces experience between us. You know, we've got a hell of a lot of experience operating in cold, up mountains, climbing, diving, you know, every environment we've, we've operated and thrived in. So we have credible, authentic experience. Most brands scratch around trying to find a story nowadays. You know, it's a, the biggest thing, isn't it? Who are they? What, what, what do they stand for? What's their ethos? You know, what are their brand values? And what's their story? Who are they? If it's sometimes, if it doesn't make sense, it confuses people. We just, in its purest form, wanted to make the best technical outdoor clothing that we could at the time that also aligned correctly to us as individuals and people you know, in terms of our brand values. And to sort of navigate back round to your original question, what what can we bring to business that that has helped, I guess, form through dark to what it is today, you know? And you know as well better than anyone, and other people listening and watching will understand just how hard brand building is. And it's it kind of gets look, looked at like washed over brand building or brand, and it's a bit fucking, it's a bit wishy-washy, and what does it mean? Brand for me is everything. It's it's who you are. It's how you identify. How the people see you from the outside looking in. And that for me was special forces. They're a brand. You know, you can look at American special forces, UK special forces. It's a brand. Look at those people. Look how they operate. Look how they hold themselves. Look how they conduct themselves. You know, and how aspirational that is for us. We wanted to be that brand that was different. You know, we were we were naively at the time, but rightly so. Looking back now, we were carving our own path. We were saying. We know what you guys are doing over here. We know where you're heading. We know the direction of travel, but fuck that. We're doing it this way. And this is what we want it to look like. And and I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. For us, it was just true. It was true to what we were and what we wanted to achieve. And how can we do that? You know, and fuck, mixed in with a load of mess ups and, you know, and at the start, it's no different to any startup. Everybody starts with an idea. You know, and ideas are great, but unless you put pen to paper and action that, it is just that. It's just a fucking idea. So me and Louis were... We started planning like we would do a military operation. You know, we were in my front, this. We were in my this. front room, and we had a uh, you know a whiteboard. We long term borrow whiteboard from the military. We stuck it up on mine, attached it to the wall, and we were like, right, let's let's look at this. How would we deal with a complex operational high value target abroad? Okay, we'd look at the bigger picture. Where are we? Who's involved? What's the network? And how can we do? 
the doing? How do we get to mission success in the best possible way? Well, okay, let's look what's in the way right now. And it's basically SWOT analysis at the hub who are through dark. Who is it? It's me and Louis. It's like, shit, there's two of us. Okay, we don't have the resource available that we did when we were in the military. We don't have all these uh, you know, intelligence analysts. We don't have all the, the, the helicopters. We don't have the weapons. We don't have the kit. We don't have everybody else to help us. But if we were doing this, just me and you, how would we do it? You know, it's that, it's that ethos from special forces about dealing with complex issues and problems, but really breaking it down to its basic form. So we started looking at through that. Who, who are we? Let's build our brand values around that. Where do we want to aim for? Who, where do we want to sit? How are we going to be different? And then how can we showcase that? You know, and how do we achieve mission success? Well, we just work back and we break it down again into those stages. And some, di- some days it's day by day. It's emailing, it's communicating, it's speaking to the right people. And people is everything. In special forces, you know, where you're kind of known as a force multiplier. When you're an operator, like I spoke about earlier, you're a door kicker. But actually, you're much more than that. You are highly skilled. I was a sniper. I was the uh, demolitions expert as well. So anything that was demolitions and uh, explosive method of entry, you know, you could call in fast air. You were trained medically to a very high standard. You know, you were... You had so many different layers or feathers in your cap, you know, that you could call upon. And now... Now imagine that amongst 30 other operators who are all trained to the very high standard, that have all gone through that course, that all understand their worth, they're adding value at every fucking level. You know, they're force multipliers. So me and Louis were coming in, right, what can we do? We know we're force multipliers, but this world is different. We're not in the fucking military. And one thing I learned when you do leave that world and you attach so much of your identity to who you were as an individual, and that's difficult we probably both went through that stage of the first six months to a year of going, well, I'm, I'm stars, I'm some fucking special forces, aren't I? And nobody gives a fuck. Nobody cares. So park that. Forget that element. You can lean into that experience and who you used to be, but the game's changed now. The fucking, that Monopoly game that you were changing before, you might as well flip it off and, and, and fuck it off. Now you've got a fresh board. Now you've got a new objective, a new target, and now you are different people. You need to start again. Snakes and ladders, back to the bottom, all right, where's the ladders? How the fuck can we get to where we want to get to? Who do we need? Who are the force multipliers in our world? You know, and then you get introduced along the way to different people. You know, shout out to Steve Clark, our founding investor, and you know, an incredible guy, very successful, uh, humble guy, keeps himself in the shadows. But I was friends, you know, with, with Steve, and me and Louis are friends first and foremost. And as we were leaving, we were talking, doing this, planning. We were planning and planning and planning, constantly talking about what this would look like, the whiteboard. And very quickly, you start putting ideas onto the board and it grows, it grows and this and, you know, how do we do that? And what about that market and investment and this and social media and things that we had to learn? You know, we had to learn, but we knew that the type of people that we were, we knew we could take on information and we knew we could apply it real world. So let's do that. Let's just do what we can do knowing what we know right now, to the best of our ability, relentlessly and never giving up. We know we didn't have a fucking quit or a fail in us and visualise what that a brand would look like to us, How, what a successful brand looks like. Okay, now let's act and communicate in that manner. And we did that from, from day, day one. From fucking day one. Let's set ourselves up for success. Let's create the foundations, strong foundations, and let's build on that. And then we had Steve come in with a small initial investment. Me and Louis put all of our savings in, 
And we just went in and we, and we committed. We just fucking committed to it. And we didn't sort of half-heart it. You know, we did, on the side, we were working security jobs, like high-paid stuff, like cherry-picking jobs for, um, you know, NFL, NBA, Super Bowl, all these kind of big jobs that were helping to kind of... Because alongside this as well, and it's worth mentioning, a lot of people say, well, it's fucking all right for you, you know. Uh, you had these uh, op- uh, opportunities afforded to you. You know, you had investment or you had this, but I had a family, you know, I, I, and, and children to support. So you have the worry and, the, and, and that thing of fuck. But I always thought, if this doesn't, my backup plan, because you always look at worst case scenario, fail. What does failure look like? Okay, we go at this for however long, there has to come. A, there has to become a point. We're not stupid, you know. People that just say just keep pushing through. Like no, 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 no. You have to know when to quit. That is fucking important. Do you plan that at the start? Yeah, you have to know what that looks like because most businesses, the, the main issue is they run out of cash. That is the number one reason businesses fail. They run out of cash. They can't manage cash correctly. They can't cash flow. They can't balance sheet. They don't forecast correctly. You run out of fucking cash. And if that happens, what the fuck are we going to do? Do you keep going along? Do you keep trying to pay and, and keep pushing in? How much do you believe in it? But there has to be a point in, I hate that thing of no quit, never quit. It's like, no, no, you have to know when to quit. That is, that is the smart man's game. Because, and then I thought, well, if I do have to come to that point, my worst case scenario is, yeah, tail between legs, but rejoin special forces. You know? And if I looked at that objectively and stood back from the coalface... My worst case scenario was my best case 10 years previous to that. I didn't want nothing more than to join special forces, you know? So for me, it was actually step back, look at it. That's not a bad fallback plan. So you reframed your idea and your scenario. So you've, you've gone, okay, the worst case scenario to me is that I end up back where, I, where a position that I'd love to have had t- t- 10 years ago anyway. Yeah. So, it's, so I'm, I'm, literally in a, I'm literally in a car now where there's, n- there's, there's, no, lo- there's no losses. Yeah. Like, and people... The, the reason a lot of people don't want to commit to that is they're scared of failing. They're scared of failing, not so much because of how it would make them feel, but because of what the perception is to other people around them. And we had that when we left. We had people close to us. What the fuck are you guys doing? You're in a great position here. You know, you've got great um, career opportunities. You're going to go and do what? Make clothing. They couldn't understand what fashion clothes. No, no, it's not fashion. It's te- high technical clothes. Yeah, but what? Nobody had done this before from our world, from Special Forces. Nobody has gone out and built a brand in clothing from Special Forces. And it, so it was unique in that way. But it sometimes confuses people, you know. And we had to fucking, we had to go through that. Those levels of doubt and anxiety and worry and stress and back in the day and fucking spending every pound like it's your last, you know, really understanding how far money can get you or, or how far it can't get you. And it's important, you know, so I'm trying to condense that early stage of the first year was so fucking difficult. You know, the, the hours, the stress, the worry, the concentration, you know, everything that we were doing, me and Louis, it fucking nearly broke us. You know, it was, it was as hard, if not harder, than Special Forces. Do you remember the revenue you did on that first year? Um, I fuck, I couldn't tell you, mate. You know, I couldn't tell you. But revenues for me is, is irrelevant. It's irrelevant even now, today. It doesn't matter to me what, you know, and we can link that back to success. Clearly it matters because if it matters in so much that you don't have a sustainable business unless you're profitable the EBITDA, but are you a growing business? You know, what's the investment look like? Where are you plowing your money? How are you spending it? Y- year on year, without going into numbers, what percentage are you growing year on year? Doubling. Every year since you started? Yeah. Yeah. 
But, you know, if we go back to the start there and me and Louis and what we're trying to plan for and everything else, it, it's, it's very difficult to explain to people just how hard business is. So loaded with the, the day-to-day business growth and the, the meetings that don't come to anything, the phone calls, you know, the investment, the, the day-to-day learning of social media and product and going through those iterations of samples and testing and developing. And mate, when we launched in 2018 on our website, we had three products, three fucking products, which to look back now is comedy. You know, it's, it's a, and we launched in, in summer with a fucking Arctic Parker, you know, and that wasn't by design. That was just because it took a lot longer than we thought it would do for the, for the, um, for the pr- production. So when you look back on that and you're sat in, you've launched your business, you've got a social media platform and following, and I want to touch on social media as well, because I want to thank a lot of people. But the, the website, we launched with three products and some t-shirts, a couple of t-shirts, off the shelf stuff and caps. And you're kind of like that, we're off. And nothing happens. And you think, fuck. And then you get excited when you get one order. I'll pack that, I'll do this. It's just me and Louis in a small little office, which very kindly was given to us by our investor. We took a small, it was half the size of this container that we're sat in. We've got one little shelf up. You know, we've got some bags and packaging and shipping. We're just learning. We're learning as we go. On the hoof, it's like an out-of-control horse running down a hill. You know, and you're just, you're managing everything yourselves just you two and then you get another person in somebody comes and joins you know somebody that's going to deal with you know the picking and packing or whatever and then it's a you know a, a camera or whatever person your team starts growing then there's four of you you know then there's five of you after a year but you're doing everything you know and I think that's where respect is born in business you know I will never ask anybody to do anything here that I haven't done previously myself and I think you have to earn that respect through doing. You know, leadership is different. You know, I've learned a lot of things through leadership in the special forces. And some people lead differently as well. You know, it's not always a do this, do that. Sometimes it needs that requirement. In the heat of the battle, there's no time for, com- there's no time for conversation. It is, I need you to do this right now. And you can't ask any questions. You've got to go, fucking yeah, I got it. Go and do the doing. There's other times where you have to manage different people differently in different situations. And I'm learning that now as we grow as a business as well. And back to the social media stuff in the beginning, social media for all its fucking vices absolutely helped us enormously in the beginning. We've had incredible people that have helped us out. You know, we've got a great network, me and Louis, through friends, but you build on that. Those relationships and friendships are formed through years, you know, so when you're looking at from the outside in and people saying, oh, it's great, you had this people helping you and this and that, we've, we've been so fucking fortunate, you know, and our ambassadors and athletes and other people that have literally helped us out, you know, taking no cash, helping, helping us grow because they believe in me and Louis, they believe in what we're doing, they believe in the product, you know, and that changes now as you grow as a business, you know, and, and you start to, you can't be so one-dimensional anymore, you have to start looking into other areas uh, and expanding, but... You know, people like Foxy, for example, helping us out. He had a huge social media following. And I remember looking back, laughing at Louis with our Instagram uh, on the the phone. And, you know, we maybe had, what, 800 followers, you know, back in the day. And it was sort of growing. And then Foxy did a post with us. And it was like, followers, 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 followers. Going through that excitement, you know, as a a new brand. Like, oh, my God, we've gained 2,000 followers in, like, two hours because Foxy's done a post. And then somebody else would help out. And then it was like, right, what do we do? We concentrate now on what we're good at. Let's just keep going. And you just have to keep going relentlessly, pushing forward. If it's working and you can see it's working, once you get that momentum, that's what you've got to dial into and keep fucking pushing and driving hard home for. 
how do you when you when you got some momentum but you kind of did you ever feel at that point you kind of lose yourself because at certain points during this podcast journey for me i felt hold on a minute i'm losing track here of of of, of I, I, I know i've got this big goal over here of being the best education podcast the world's ever seen i've got that big goal and i break all my goals downstairs and i have all and all this stuff and i get all that but i sometimes get lost in the I get so lost in it, and then and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I need I need I need to step away from this for for four or five weeks and just look at this with a new set of eyes because I can't see I can't see through the the barrier. Do you ever feel like that? No. So how do I? So, okay. So, no. so so how do I? How do I? And how does everyone listening to this not feel like that? Because I know a lot of people do. I think it comes down to planning. You know, I think it comes down to communication. It's difficult. You're on your own. And communicate with yourself you can't be sound like a madman but we do we communicate with ourselves what does success look like for you frankie podcast what does it look like what does success look like in six months where do you want to be where are you now and where do you want to be in six months where do you want to be in a year so you have the now the near the next and for us we say right now what are we doing what are we concentrating on i'm pointing at that because i've got everything our, our product roadmap behind and all that sort of stuff and it gets more complex the bigger the business gets the more people that are involved yeah, granted. But for you personally, I'd say, what's now? What does now look like? Okay, it looks like this podcast. Okay, and it looks like the next week. It's editing. It's then movement. Where am I traveling to? What's the near? The near is probably, you know, two to three months, maybe six months. You know, and the next is what's the big fucking goal? What do I, who do I want to be in, in 12 months, 18 yeah, months? Yeah, yeah. Now, what do I need to do to make all these things happen? Because the way I've set it out, Previously, is of like I've got the big goal. I've broken it down into smaller goals and smaller manageable goals. Obviously, I've got a couple a couple of people on my team now and stuff that are working inside to help things move along. But then, but then once once I've broke it down to that level, I'm like, okay, who who's Frankie Lee got to become in order to get to in, to get to that stage? Because it's not because I have to grow personally as well when I get to that. Not 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 just in terms of like actions, but also like me as a person. All right, I'll give you an example. If because I've used these. This technology, and people probably have used a lot of this technology, a drone. So if we put a fucking drone in the table right now, and you weren't controlling the drone, and we fucking fire the drone up, and this drone is 20 foot above you, and it follows you around for the next week. Yeah. If you watch that footage back, what would you think about yourself? You can do more. Every, uh, the, the, anybody that's honest with themselves will always say that. Yeah. If you say that, if you, I, I, I personally think if you think, a, if a drone was following you, if you think that you're using every piece of your time adequately or every piece of your time towards the right goal, I think you're lying to yourself. Yeah, and that, and I want to be clear here. That's not me saying grind harder because I fucking hate that. I hate that mentality of just grind, just grind, bro, just keep grinding. Now you're saying you're saying to me get fucking focused. It's fucking bullshit. Yeah. How are you breaking your day down into days to weeks, you know, everything to hour to minute? Are you maximizing the time that you've got? If it is a seven hour, eight hour window, what are you doing in that time? Really look at yourself and analyze what you're doing. And is it, is it complementing and adding value to where you want to head? Yeah. And if you're honest with yourself, probably six and a half hours worth of that footage, you'd be going, fuck it, what am I doing? I'm fucking pissing about. I had a bit of a realization the other day, actually. Um, not as in depth as what you've just said, where, which I'm going to analyze when I get off this podcast and probably go through a bit more of this structure with you because I really want to get it structured. But I had the realization the other day is like, I'm sat in my apartment 
in Peterborough, where I, which I bought when I was 18 years old, right? And I've been to Australia, and I've travelled around the world, and I've gone to Dubai, and I've smashed it in both locations. When I come to England, I always feel as if it's a little bit fucking harder than it has to be, my life, right? And I thought to myself, are you, can you achieve what you want to achieve from it? No. So as soon as I, as soon as I said no in my head, uh, the apartment went up for rent, all the stuff went on, started for sale and I've sold I'm literally selling my old life and I'm, I'm, I'm right right now I've got to be free to move I've got to be I've got to go where I need to go to get this to get this goal achieved to get I know my vision I know what I want you ain't going to do it if you sit here as simple as that so so I've already started to action these plans to to, to make these moves to, to to do exactly what you're saying can I be honest with you because we're fucking friends um, I think from speaking to you and understanding you I think you're very good at action and you understand the mechanics and the why you're doing things for the right reasons. But I think, and it's, it cripples people now is, is time. Time's a finite resource and it's the, the biggest and best thing that you can invest, you know, with yourself and to other people. But the problem with time is that, and society has a lot to answer for and social media, people aren't willing all prepared to put time in. Now, it was our fifth year anniversary, you know, a few weeks back, but we were working a year on it before that. So I'm talking fifth year since we launched. So six years, six years that we've done this. Now, I look back at my military career. I spent 13 years in the military to gain the experience and the knowledge and the understanding to sit in front and hopefully have a, uh, a nuanced, objective opinion on not just life, but but business and hopefully advice that can help somebody because you can't set out on a goal on something that's big that can be massive and say, fuck it, I've been at this for three and a half years and I feel like I'm not fucking getting anywhere. It, and there's loads of examples outside of us in this small fucking uh, container of success and people and how they make it and how the pathway to success is just difficult and different for every individual. Some people land on it, they hit quick, they get a couple of good things that happen, and it happens. But if you just keep going and doing, as long as you're not going past that point that we said, and you're doing it for the wrong reasons, and you don't know when to quit because it's not financially viable, or you're not fucking enjoying it, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, then that's half the battle, isn't it? How the fuck can you put five, ten years into something and not enjoy it. That blows yeah. my fucking mind. How people yeah. can wake up, swing their legs out of bed in the morning and not be happy with what they're doing. That's that, But that's down to you as a person. You control that. You you are the fucking the captain of your own ship and you have, to de you have to deal with that and understand with that. It's basic form. Am I happy with what I'm doing? Do I feel like I'm adding value? Does it fulfil me as a person, as an individual? Because if it does... That will play out naturally over time. And it might be 10 years. I think if we have this conversation in 10 years, you'll be like, wow, I can't, fuck, you remember? And we will as through doc. We'll yeah, go, you remember yeah, five years? Yeah. We, were, we were doing well, but fuck, look at us now. It's like almost yeah. comedy. When the, the day I started, I said to myself, this is a 10-year game. This yeah. is a 10-year game, Frankie boy. Like you, you, you can't because like you're going to, I knew when I started that I, I knew exactly what I was going to see because I'd seen this in other industries and other things. I knew that 
there were going to be people that that just get the right podcast and do a hundred thousand uh, subscribers on the back of one podcast. And I knew there was going to be these type of people, and I knew that along this journey, I couldn't look at them and get resentful of them because it didn't happen to me. Do you know what I mean? It's because everyone's journey is fucking different. It's the uh, I'll, I'll say it. You know, comparison is a thief of joy, isn't it? But it's yeah. fucking hard not to look over the fucking neighbor's fence, isn't it? And see yeah, what's happening, yeah, yeah. what's it's, going on. It's, it's hard, mate, because other people's grass is 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 green. You know what I mean? Other people's grass is green, and, and it's like fuck me. Where'd they get the fertilizer but, from? Exactly. But honestly, for us as a brand and as a business, yeah. we don't do that. We we concentrate on us. Yeah. You know, we're f- we are that motorway analogy again. We're going, and as you start any journey from business and, uh, and a new venture. Another analogy probably is like a, it's like a, a wave, isn't it? You start at day one and there's fucking no waves. You're just kind of bobbing around in the, in the ocean with your surfboard sat on it, sort of waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's time, it's days and hours and weeks and months pass and nothing's really, and then you get a little wave and you think, fucking hell, a wave's coming. I'll jump on that. And you jump on the wave and then the next bit comes, another two, three years, bigger wave. And you think, fucking hell, this is all right. I'm getting waves now and I'm, I'm on my board and then people start joining you along that route so you imagine this long stretched out bit of bit of beautiful ocean and it's me and Louis on our surfboards and the small waves and then this bigger wave and then it starts coming in three years and now there's three or four five six of you and the waves getting bigger now there's eight of you now some people are like fuck it's that's a five foot wave you know and we're surfing it and we're, we're doing what we're doing but along the ride fucking somebody will fall off and it's like shit Guy's not made for it, whatever, that's fine. You know, we want you to come along the ride, but you're just not fit for it. You're not you know, not fit for purpose or not not um, not ready for that environment. The waves potentially got too big for you. And then the wave gets bigger, you know, and then you get more people in. Then you get specialist surfers in. Then you get people that can fucking surf and also teach you how to surf along the way. And that's really fucking important for business. Who you surround yourself with and people, I guess that was what I'm trying to say there is that Along the way, it's going to get harder. The wave will get bigger. The intensity intensity will increase, but for the right reasons. You know, it's fucking fun, and it should be fun. You should be looking forward to those waves coming, but make sure that you're prepared. Make sure the people that are around you in your team are prepared, and make sure that there are people there along the way that can teach and help you. Look at your mentors. Look at who you're surrounding yourself with. You know, for me, we've built the success of the business out from the very start. I remember sitting in there, our first board meeting, and it's, it's quite, I'm smiling. Like we were sat in, you know, Link House with our investor, Steve, and it's me and Louie, and he brings up this spreadsheet, you know, and it's hardly anything on it. It's free products. And I'm sort of fucking laughing at him and, and saying, Steve, what, what the fuck is this? And he's like, you know, you're going to have to get used to this. And you will, you will, fast forward in five years, you will learn to love a spreadsheet. You'll see the beauty in it. And you'll see, you know, how you can utilize this information to help uh, the business grow in the right ways. And he talks us through what everything means and, you know, uh, without going into all the detail. But um, we learn. You learn along the way and you get you start bringing people in. And the, the, the biggest thing for me in business and successful businesses is people. Surround yourself with the best possible people that you can. You know, and you don't always pick right. Sometimes you get some bad people in, bad apples, but, you know, higher fast and, and fire, sorry, higher slow, fire fast and all that good stuff and those analogies. But for the most part, everybody here at Through Dark right now, hand on heart, are incredible people, super talented, ambitious, driven, because it's difficult when, when, 
when you start a business, it's your baby. And me and Louis are super passionate about ThruDark and about the success of the business. To bring people in, it's kind of like, are they going to have the same passion as us? Are they bothered? Are they swinging their legs out of the bed in the morning going, fuck, I want to nail this today? You know, because they've got different, you know, it's not just a job. Here, it's not just a fucking job. You need people that are passionate. And how do you do that? I think for me, you do that around culture. You, br- you, you, you build a strong, a positive culture that's inclusive for everybody. You get them in and you allow them you know, that freedom and that flexibility to do the job and allow it. And, you know, uh, and, and I think nurture and raise the team amongst you, you know, it's, it's, but that's a difficult, challenging process at times. What are some of the ways then you've brought this culture in? Is, is it, is it by putting the gym downstairs? Is it by, you know, having a real close, like, like you, you don't have in your office, you don't have like lots of single desks. You have one long desk, desk area where everyone works together, you know, in the offices and stuff like that. Is, is that the kind of way you're building camaraderie? Yeah, it's, it's emotion. It's, it's, it's camaraderie, but it's a sense of togetherness. It is being inclusive here in terms of what we're doing and why we're doing it. We're always telling people what's happening. We're like briefing, daily briefs. We have a weekly brief. We include everybody into that brief. We um, encourage sort of the, the ideas, the communication. When we were in like sort of special forces, like no idea was a stupid idea. You know, we're looking at a complex task, you know, and you could have, you know, you're now in a room full of 30 uh, people from special forces of differing experience. You might have somebody that's been in 20 years that is super fucking experienced, you know, the, the kind of, um, the guy that everybody looks to is, uh, for the experience. But, you know, you might have somebody that's only been in a year, but would bring something to the table, an idea that, that is slightly different, that people go, fuck, yeah, that, actually, that's fucking not a bad idea. And it doesn't matter that he's been in two minutes or two years or, or fucking 20 years. Yeah. It adds value, but you have to be receptive and open to that. As, a, as an individual, as a leader, for me, I can't just say, I'm fucking Staz, I'm the leader, I'm the boss, like, shut up, listen in, this is how we're doing it. Because it just doesn't wash. But also you don't get the best out of people. You don't get the best ideas. You don't get that creativity. You don't allow people to flourish and really enjoy what they're doing. You have to look at things and step back sometimes and allow. Because otherwise there's times in business where you'll, if I speak first, you know, sometimes, and people know me better than that, they can say whatever they want to me. But sometimes if the leader speaks first, then those people below will go, I can't, I can't go against what he's saying here. I just, I can't. It's just not that environment. You know, so you have to encourage the communication, but in the in the correct manner. But we do that in different ways. We've got a gym downstairs, jujitsu. Everybody's involved upstairs. Is all open plan. We've created culture within this unit here. You know, you walked up the walls earlier. We'll probably do a video after of, of, of a walk walk around. But we've sort of brought that culture and ethos and that trust, that unity, the loyalty, all that stuff that we embody as individuals into the business and into the brand. And I think I'd like to feel that 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 is felt. Uh, you know, across everybody in the business. I think. I think one thing's for sure. Like, and I've always known this about you. I think, and and especially coming in here as well. Like, you can you can fit. I could always feel your passion for what you're doing, and and feel you feel the fact that you're doing something you love, which I think helps massively. And and I feel like everyone on the boat in terms of everyone rowing is rowing with you here right whereas some businesses you go into you, you realize some <laughs> someone at the end of the boat is fucking rowing in a different direction and and you see it in so many bigger businesses i mean how many staff you got now 50 no no we're th- about 33 
33. Do you think as you scale like to the 50 to the to the 80 staff, do you reckon you'll be able to keep that culture tight knit? Because obviously as you as you grow it gets harder and harder. I suppose every time you add another 10 staff, five staff, it must get more difficult, right? Yeah, of course it is, but I think for me it comes down to that founders mentality, which is a great great book, uh, which I'd recommend people to read if they're in a position of being a founder. And it's a unique privileged position to be a founder within a business, but you have to lead with passion from the front and engage with people. It's no good me saying, oh, fucking hell, that's it now, we've done it. Like, I don't need to come in today. We've got the team cracking on and off I, off I go. Like yesterday, we had a great day. It was, the energy was amazing. We're going across, we're launching five new products every day next week. And, you know, the creative muscle and might that's required from that across all the departments of the business is huge, you know, but we ha- I have to lean into that. I've got to be in there saying, I've thought about this and have you, have you thought about that? And, I fucking love that idea. And that's amazing. That looks wicked. Can we tweak? Can we change? And, you know, being there with the team and in the team, you know, being on task and leading from the front, from that environment is, yeah. is super, super fucking critical. You cannot lose ever that founder's mentality. There's like reasons that, you know, businesses fail. You take your foot off the gas, you know, and you're kind of coasting. You've got to fucking stamp down on that accelerator and make sure everybody's strapped in and they're coming with you. You know, you have free fall as well, where sometimes it's out of control and, you know, you have to understand and recognize and feel with what's currently going on with the business right now. And, you know, don't get me wrong, this we're not a polished organization by any stretch, but we are putting people processes into position right now to enable communication to be better, to enable systems to be better. And it's always changing, you know, from e-com and, you know, how we uh, talk and communicate face to face, but also digitally, how can we inform everybody in the business so that everybody is happy and these are things that have been happening over the last 12, 18 months. And even now, you know, getting the right people in. We've got a new CEO joining us with great experience. And I know it's cliched, but there are times now where you sit in a room, you should always be in there looking around. And with people that are more, more intelligent than you, i.e. specifically more intelligent for each task. Because if I'm employing people and then I'm having to fucking keep checking and looking over and... and um, not trusting their ability, then I've we've incorrectly hired, in so, my opinion. So you've brought on a, you, you and Louis have stepped back, and you're not. So you're not going to be CEOs. You, you're going to out. You're going to give that to someone else now. No. So oh well, the CEO role is different. So CEO will sit in between me and Louis. And as the as the department, as the teams grow now, we've kind of given ourselves our own swim lanes, but swim lanes that look across and into each other's lanes constantly. You know. So Louis' side of a uh, uh, part of the ship, as it's kind of set up out uh, upstairs, as, as you look at the tables, you know, you've got Louis as as, as the um, I guess MD, so he's dealing with operations and product and and development and delivery of product with Ben, the product master, and all the way down, and that entails finance is a huge part of that, you know, and then we've got everything that moves down from varying degrees within that that, that, uh, channel as well, and we've got, um, you know, customer service and all those kind of bits and pieces. And then on our side, so you've got product basically on one side, but obviously heavily led and lent into by finance, and on our side, it's brand, you know, get the product, you know, which obviously I deal with and lean into heavily in terms of product development and, and everything else. And then on our side is brand. It's it's now sell the product, you know, how, and also how do we communicate um, as a business uh, and as a brand outwardly to other people, but also internally as well. So brand for us, you know, we've got Tommy, you know, an amazing person, Tommy Entwistle, who came from uh, Osprey Europe, that's, uh, literally just around the road, um, you know, 16 years experience in the outdoor industry and in, you know, in Osprey and PAX, you know, took them from pretty much zero to 
60 million revenue to their recent exit and he's now joined as our commercial brand director so having those right people in at the right time and you know ben coming in under louis uh you know and dealing with product you know a high level ben's got 20 odd years worth of experience in the outdoor industry and dealing with product you know now you start setting up this architecture this task org you know of people and how we um, balance that experience across the table and now we push it all down and how now we talk about the communication between all these departments and sub sub uh, compartmentally between each other you know and what's the mission you know it's i know it sounds stupid but i'm a military person what's the mission what are we trying to do and sometimes we need that that's what me and louis do stop what's the mission what are we doing Okay, that's a distraction. Now we start looking at other stuff. So on our brand yeah. side, we've got everything from e-com, paid acquisition. We've got the creative side. We've got um, the photo, the photographers, the videographers, you know, all these amazing, amazing people in their own right, and the digital design people, social media, that are all pulling together for the main mission. Everybody understands what we're doing and why we're doing it. And obviously, because that's clearly communicated, that is why everyone can be on the same boat. But one thing I want to touch upon is, like, obviously... You you were away in the military for like you know fifteen twenty years however long you're in there and then obviously you, you you your your business takes up a lot of time you got jujitsu you got everything else what what does it take out of you on a, like a family basis in terms of like what's it what does it look like for you when it comes to looking after your son when it comes from look for, you know and with you with your with your wife as well there's uh, that's a fucking really good question mate um, it. You've got to pay the man, you know, and at some stage, I think it was it Peterson says, you've got to pick your poison, haven't you? You don't get, you don't get to choose yes or no. It's you, you have to pick a poison, you know, and balancing that out, it's like the seesaw, isn't it? Constantly too much of this, not good for that and vice versa. And that's a very complex, nuanced, difficult um, seesaw to, to get right. And probably now the place I am in right now is stands sat in front of you, you know, 39 years old, 40 next year, what is my biggest um, concern or, or worries? And it's balancing that out. It's making sure that whilst I'm doing all this, to make sure and to be mindful that I'm not letting go of this, you know, and what's important? What's, you know, when we strip everything back, what is important to me as an individual? To be a good person, to be a good husband, and to be a good father. And that is above all else. You know, and if I lose track of any of those things and put too much time, energy, effort, and love into this side of the, into this side, i.e., business and uh, and revenue, and let's chase this and let's go over here, and you know, there's something something will break at some point. So you have to be mindful of that, and it's a very difficult balance to gain. And I get a lot of messages from people on social media and. You know, fucking social media, again, you know, people only see parts of it, don't they? Like, they probably see me, they come in in the morning, we roll, we do jujitsu, which has been incredible for me, you know, in terms of, for me as an individual, when I left, you know, clearly fitness, physical fitness was uh, an integral part of my life, you know, because I had to be physically fit and robust to do my job. In its purest, rawest form, I had to be at a very high level of fitness to do my job in special forces. And that doesn't leave people, I don't think, that have been that have done that job before. I don't think anybody leaves the special forces and thinks, "Ah, oh, fuck it, brilliant. Uh, I don't have to do. I don't have to be fit anymore." But I think there's a lot of amazing benefits and um, positives that come with that in terms of looking after yourself. It's the whole, you know, uh, that we said earlier about that analogy of being on the aeroplane. You know, you, there's a reason they ask you to put your fucking oxygen mask on first because you can't look after all of this other stuff 
until you've got your own shit in a sock and you are fucking sorted, your mask's on, you're getting oxygen. Now I can look outwardly and help other people and, and focus on other areas of my life. So, and Jiu-Jitsu has been incredible for that. And shout out to Sam from Reorg, who does some amazing stuff for charity and veterans and uh, Arm Response and, and, and everybody else as well. So I kind of needed that. And that was my meditation. That was my focus. And I love that kind of form of it. So I think for me, it's, uh, and it's a long-winded way again, apologies, but it's about layering all these different things on together. So I've got the physical aspect, the mental and physical challenges for myself to push myself, you know, that fucking white belt belt mentality to put myself in difficult situations so that I don't drop the ball, so that I don't allow myself to become comfortable and complacent in that area of my life in terms of physical fitness and mental robustness. So I train, you know, jujitsu, I train in the gym and I go for runs and cold dip, all that kind of stuff. So that's one element. The next element which then, if I don't do this as well, by the way, then the downstream effect of not doing that is pretty catastrophic across all the other elements of my life. If I don't train, I'm miserable. You know, then my wife doesn't get the best version of me because while I'm with my family and, and my kids, my three boys, I'm thinking about I'm, I've not trained. And I know that's mad, but it does. It affects me because I'm irritable and I'm thinking I fucking let myself down there. If I drop that, then... What else will I fucking allow to drop? And what is acceptable for me to drop? So I have to do that. That's like a non-negotiable, have to do that. Once that's parked, it's good. Now I can focus in mentally. I'm physically, I'm in the right place to give my family and my wife and my kids the best version of me that I possibly can. So I'm there, I'm present. And this is hard. This is probably the most difficult thing that I beat myself up constantly about every single fucking day is... Being a good father, you know, and being a good husband and being present and giving them my all, giving them everything. Because it's not enough just to come to work and through dark and be full of passion and energy and push that through to the business. So much so that I am mentally and physically fatigued that when I get home, they just see a bloke or a geezer who's fucking wiped out who's mentally and physically wiped out, that can't play with the kids, that does too tired to go and play football, that can't fucking run around and chase them. And I'm really fucking conscious of that every day. There's days when I am tired. I've, I've done all this stuff or I've been away and we've been on an expedition or I've been climbing or whatever, or it's been a super maxed out day here at Dark, and mentally I'm fatigued and I just have to fucking switch that gear. And it's almost like I sit in the car, pull onto the driveway and I just have a fucking 30 seconds moment to myself where I let the fucking dust settle whatever type of day I've had not every time it doesn't happen every time because it's you know we're fucking human but for the majority of times I will reset my fucking brain I will go in and I want to be the person that they're expecting me to be when I walk through that door it's fucking fun time it's daddy's home you know my kids yesterday ran up to me both fucking running daddy that's the reaction that I fucking pray that I get every single day from my kids daddy's home they run they drop what they're doing they run up you know those hugs those special moments me picking them up then I'm fucking chasing them around the garden I'm acting like a monkey and they're fucking giggling they're laughing and it's those moments that I fucking are better than anything that I've ever felt before in my life and they're more special than anything as well and the days that I don't do that or the days that I let myself down and I'm not that person when I go in is the days that I absolutely punish myself mentally for. You know, the days that I'm tired, I'm fatigued, I'm a bit short or daddy, can you come play football quick? And I'm on my phone, I'm emailing, something's happened and sorry, I'll come out in a minute. I'm, I've just got to do this. I'm quick, I'm quick. It's like, that's not acceptable. 
That is not acceptable. You've got a two-year-old and a six-year-old, 11-year-old looking at you. They're looking, they're observing, they're watching what you do. Every single second that you're with them, they're observing you. And that is important. And it's difficult to get that balance sometimes because life does get in the way. Things happen, you know, stuff happens, external stresses happen that are out of your control that you have to deal with. But as long as you are aware of what's happening and why you're doing it, and we, you know, me and Ruby, my wife, we sit with each other and, you know, it's natural. You'll sit on the, you'll be watching TV, you're trying to relax. You know, the kids are on the bed with you and, you know, and it, you're on your phone. And I'm like, the kid, they're trying to engage with you. They're, look, they're, they're speaking to you. And you're fucking looking at a fucking screen. And it's, I beat my, then I'll realize what I'm doing and have that moment of, that is terrible. That is terrible. Like your kid wants to fucking engage with you and you're showing them that what I'm holding is more important than those little people. And that's what I beat myself up more and more about every day than anything apart from business. It is, you know, I'm reading the, um, have you read The Daily Stoic? Yeah, I've read He's brought out a Daily Dad book, 365 Meditations I, I saw that, but obviously I can't relate. Yeah, Mate, it's wicked. It's wicked. And what that does to me is you read, obviously it's dated, day dated. So you, And it's not a big investment. It takes fucking three minutes to read a page. And it's every day you do that. And what that does to me is it's me committing to the awareness and understanding of just how important me being a father is to my kids. And I let them watch me. I, I make that. Conscious decision to read that book every day. And I'm going to keep reading it now, I think, till they become fathers and I'm going to pass that book down to them. Yeah, it's beautiful, man. Because that is important. When we strip everything away, what's important? You know, and we can't control our kids and, and, and you know, without going into too much detail, and I'm not a psychologist or anything like that. And we all want to our kids to be successful. We want them to be health. First and foremost, we want them to be healthy. We want them to be happy and we want them to be successful. But there's some things that are out of your control. You know, and we are the bow, the kid is the arrow. As long as your bow is fucking strong and you can set them fucking sailing on the right path in the right direction at the right time, the rest is up to them. Once they leave that bow, you can't fucking pull the arrow back. You can't. And it's so important that you build that bow at an early stage, make it strong, make it robust. You pull back, you fucking put the arrow in, you aim and you make sure you fucking point it in the right direction and give them every single opportunity that you can as a father. And for me, that's, that's my job and that's important for me. And it's beautiful hearing you say that because I, I, I realise, and I realise this a lot, um, a lot earlier in our friendship than, than in this conversation, but there's a lot of uh, talk at the moment on social media, a lot of men going out in the world and talking about masculinity. But I think in terms of masculinity to me, I think you truly embody every area of masculinity for me. I mean, you, 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 you want to be a, a good husband to your wife. You, you want to be the best father you can for your children. You, you, you work diligently to make sure that, you know, you're creating a space that's safe for your staff and everything else. And I just think, mate, I just want to say to you personally that I think that's a shining example of how masculinity should be put out into the world right now which I don't often think it is. I think it's a lot of shouting, a lot of talking about going, having 16 women, all this other crap. And I just thought, I just wanted to tell you, mate, because it's just unbelievable. No, thank you, mate. And it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a constant battle. It's a working process, isn't it? In progress, sorry. A work in progress, constantly uh, 
going through this process in your mind and communicating with your partners and, and to your kids. And it, it's so fucking hard and difficult, but it's a worthy cause. It, you, there's nothing more <laughs> worthy than, you know, trying to create that space. But masculinity is, is a funny one. I fucking hate that term, toxic masculinity. I think the way that the, the media uh, are portraying men and everything right now is so detrimental and damaging to people. To, to, I've got three boys, you know, to raise three boys but correctly, but understanding that that doesn't mean that we can't be empathetic to people. It doesn't mean that you can be um, acknowledging of your emotions, you know, but again, to, uh, to, to cite Jordan Peterson, you know, the world doesn't need weak men you know we can be vulnerable we can be aware of our emotions but being weak it brings nothing to the party brings nothing to the table as an individual as a family as a like a neighbor as as a fucking community as a population it's just not fucking good so you it is within our capability and possibility right now to go out and fucking do hard things push yourself physically and mentally because what comes at the other end of that is nothing but beauty. You can't argue with that. And everybody that's achieved something that's worth achieving, it's that does come hard. with sacrifice, fucking hard. is hard, hard, hard work. I have pushed myself physically and mentally, I, I don't know, I, there's no scale, but probably harder than, you know, 90 fucking whatever percent of the population. And I know I have. And what comes of that is, is good things. And I continue to do that every day. And I don't rest on my laurels and think, well, that's it. That's me. I've finished. And I've, 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 I've achieved this or I've done that. And look at that. And no, fuck that. You keep fucking pushing and pushing and trying to find out how you can be a better person uh, at its individual level. I love that, mate. And I, and I hope everyone that's listened to this podcast that's got to this point has not just listened to what Staz has said, but felt every word of it as well. Because I think, I think this is what I'm trying to create with this podcast, Staz. It, 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 it's, it's a piece of content that when it's recorded, that people don't just listen to the podcast. They, they feel it on every level too, so they can implement these things in their life. And I hope you guys can implement a lot of your, uh, a lot, a lot of your wisdom, Staz, in, into their life. But if there's one golden piece of wisdom that you can just impart on this audience that's going to take them 1% further in their life that they can implement today and it's your last piece of last pearl of advice that you could live leave for everyone in this audience and you can't leave anything else what would it be I won't say what I want to say it's it's deep no, 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 it's no, no, what it's no, say, say what you want to say say what you say what say what you want to say I want I want the truth well it's the c word don't be a but I think I won't I won't say that but I've said it I think be the best version of yourself that you can be so that when you remove those two, those two masks that we spoke about and you're left with your own mask and you're staring back at the man in the mirror, be happy with the person that you see because there's nothing worse than looking back at another person or your reflection and seeing who you could have fucking been and realising that you could have been that person and the only person to blame is yourself. I love it, mate. I love it because it's so self-accountable, and that you can't you can't get away from yourself. Then, and I th- and I think that's one thing I want to want you all to be left with as well. Don't you know? There's going to be times in your life where you try and get away from yourself, and I think that they're, they're the times you most need to sit with yourself and lean in. Because if you don't lean in, 
you you're kind of doing yourself a disservice because you can't allow that learning to happen is, is what i want to say because I've, I've learned this in my own life there's been times along this podcast journey it's got a little bit fucking hard in situations and i thought you know what should i quit this I'm, i i keep going because i don't i, I don't i don't want to quit because i know i love this and and you can tell in my voice and you can tell in what i do i love every minute of it but it gets fucking hard and when you get and when you get to that point where it's like fucking hell this is fucking hard man I'm in Bournemouth today, I'm in fucking Liverpool tomorrow. When it gets to these kind of stages, you've got to go, do you know what? I fucking love this though. I wouldn't have it any other way. You volunteered, remember? We're all yeah, volunteers. Yeah, yeah. Lean into it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, let's get some lunch, mate. I'm fucking starving. But um, <laughs> but, but but before we before we definitely do go, um, check out Through Dark online. Check out Staz. I'll put I'll put links to follow Staz and follow Through Dark. The brand the brand has some incredible pieces. If you're looking for anything like in the outside space, I want you guys to 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 check them out to see it. it's the highest quality stuff in the game. It seriously is, and I'm not even saying that just for saying it because you'll say it, but it fucking is. I'm proud of everything you've done. I appreciate it. It's been an absolute honour to share this podcast with you, mate, and much love. Thank you. Guys, do me a solid favour. Drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next.